like that. You Hello, everybody, and welcome that. to like this. What day is it? Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Sorry for not having a show on Monday. In reality, <laughs> looking back to Sunday, I, I could have probably recorded one. I could have probably recorded one. I, I talked myself out of it. I went to go hang out with some other friends during that time. I was sitting in my apartment. I was trying to get my week a uh, week nine quarterback prospect rankings done. Didn't end up doing it. Didn't end up doing it. Just kind of sat around, barely watched football. I had Red Zone on, but I was barely watching it. I wish I was watching it because there were some fun games on Sunday. There were some fun games. There were some fun games Saturday. There were some fun games Sunday. We got a lot to talk about in regards to football. But before we get into anything today, I want to go over some of the housekeeping items first. So with that being said, make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And with that, let's crack open an Easy Eddie, not sponsored. Not sponsored, but if you want to sponsor the show, you're more than happy. You're more than you're more than happy to. <laughs> you're, you're more than welcome to. Let's crack one open. Oh, so smooth, so smooth. Big Grove, you want to sponsor the podcast? You want to sponsor the podcast? If not, we got water. Remember back in the day when we used to be sponsored by water? Uh, that was water. See how nice and refreshing that sounded. And then we got. Oh man, it's almost better than water. See. Big Grove, if you want a number one spokesperson for your alcoholic beverages, you got a guy right here. You got a guy right here. I've never sent anything to Big Grove before, but maybe, maybe we should try. Maybe we try. Maybe we try. We've tried other places before. Gotten some emails back, but uh, Big Grove would be a, a good I enjoy your product. I enjoy your product. <laughs> but the Logan Blackman Show can be found on those forms, social media, it's in, on Twitter. You can go to Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is the Logan Blackman Show one. Then Facebook and YouTube to search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you follow and subscribe on both. Check out a few blog posts on there as well. You can check out our surprise mock draft that we did for Halloween weekend, which Halloween weekend is fun, and we'll talk about that before we'll open up the show. And then, of course, the most important thing out of all of them: make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're listening right now and you're hearing me say that. Make sure you are following and are subscribed. Leave a rating on a five stars and well on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. And I, if I <laughs> if I sound a little drained today, I just got done playing soccer with some of the homies, some of the boys, running around playing soccer for about an hour and a half, almost two hours. It's fun. It's really fun. Nice form of exercise because I don't get a lot of exercise <laughs> these days <laughs> in regards to cardiovascular activity, if you know what I'm saying. So I... I get a lot of I, I get all my energy out during soccer. We're trying to get a team together on Thursday. So we're gonna have back to back shows, it sounds like, where I am crapped out. Like I got we're gonna be playing soccer if we play soccer Thursday. I don't know if we're actually gonna do it or not. But if we do end up playing on Thursday, good lord, Tuesday and Thursday, oh, we're gonna have some tired shows. Hopefully I I hopefully I stay with it the entire time today. But this weekend was fun. I enjoyed myself thoroughly this weekend. I I know it wasn't there was no Logan Blackman show on the actual Halloween. I'm aware of that. I'm well aware of that. But we had one on Friday. We had a surprise mantra. We went through Trick or Treat, Beggar's Night, Candy Rankings on tier lists. Like, you got you got some Halloween content, okay? Got some scary matchups. We talked about the Iowa Northwestern game being a scary matchup. Watched that game on Saturday. Beautiful game. Absolutely beautiful game. And I, I'm sitting there watching the game. Halfway surprised... Yeah, halfway not. Like, it was a weird feeling on Saturday. I wouldn't have touched that game with a 10-foot pull. Iowa was an 11-point favorite, I believe, in this game. Was it 11 and a half? 11 and a half. I was not touching that with a 10-foot pull. Iowa just made things relatively easy in this game. I mean, we know Northwestern's bad. But Iowa's also bad. 
Like, these two offenses, both of them scored less than 20 points a game this season. Like, these are two historically bad offenses going up against each other, coincidentally, on Halloween weekend. It's a scary-ass matchup, and not in the good way. Not in the good way. You do not enjoy these types of scary movies. But this one you did. This one you did. And one of the... It's Northwestern, for those of you who are aware, we kind of touched on this third, on uh, Friday's show. Northwestern is kind of that team that is a bogey team for Iowa. They've been a bogey team where I believe I heard something. They've won the last three times in Kinnick Stadium. I could be completely wrong about that. But I heard that from where I was doing the Cedar Falls Tigers football game, which they won. They beat Ankeny Centennial, one of the craziest games I've watched. It wasn't a high-scoring game. But Centennial fumbled three times. Cedar Falls capitalized on all of them. The third one, though, Centennial's quarterback tried to get a quarterback sneak from the one-yard line, and ball popped out and landed in the grateful arms of a Cedar Falls defender, sealing the game, essentially. And then their quarterback, Ankeny Centennial's quarterback, got hurt the second to last drive of the game, so they're going with a backup on the last drive of the game, and the, tight, the cadence was all off. You can tell he was nervous. You can tell he hadn't been... He, he'd played some this season, but it wasn't enough, especially that can't, you can't prepare for that situation. When you're not getting consistent play time, you get thrust into, this game's on you now. They got to third and one. Really should have gotten a first down in the play before, but got to third and one. And the he got messed up on the cadence twice. The O-line was losing their shit at this kid. It went from third and one to like third and 21. I don't remember the exact yardage there. But it was a long-ass, dis it was a big-ass difference between third and one and third and whatever. He didn't get it. And Cedar Falls ended up winning the game. So I heard it during that broadcast. Dave Finnegan, the guy I do the games with, he brought that up. And that's just how this game is. It doesn't really matter how good Northwestern is. It doesn't really matter how good Iowa is. The year Iowa went to the Orange Bowl, now granted Ricky Stanzi got hurt in the game, snapped his ankle in the end zone against Northwestern, but Iowa was undefeated and lost to Northwestern at Kinnick Stadium, 17-10. And then proceeded to go to the Horseshoe the next week and fight a close game with James Vandenberg coming in as the back of He threw like four to five interceptions and they still lost in overtime. So that's one of those seasons where, kind of like the 2001 season where Iowa lost to Iowa State, it's kind of the season that could have been like, no one really looks at the Rose Bowl year that way. No one really does. But, like, that undefeated season in 09, where Ricky Stanzi got hurt, that's the season's like, man, if Stanzi didn't get hurt, if Stanzi did not get hurt in that game against Northwestern, they're going undefeated. James Vandenberg threw four to five interceptions against Ohio State, and they still went to overtime. You're telling me Ricky Stanzi, one of the greatest quarterbacks in Iowa history, is not winning that game? Because I guarantee he's not throwing a four to five interceptions. He had some games like that at Iowa. But I don't think he was doing it in that game, especially with the rhythm Iowa was cooking in that week, or that season. Like, Jans Vandenberg lost to Northwestern. I, there was a lot of different things that went on in that game for Northwestern. It lost to Ohio State, and it beat Minnesota, I think, 12-0. And thankfully, Stansy was back for the bowl game. But, like, in the 2016 season, when Iowa went undefeated in the regular season, lost to Michigan State on the nine-minute drive, they got ass-blasted by Christian McCaffrey in the Rose Bowl. Like, that's a season where you look at it as like, man, if they got that done to them by Stanford, really by one person, Chris McCaffrey, that's one of the, the single greatest performances I've ever seen at the college football level against my individual teams. I know there's been some fantastic, fantastic performances in college football history, but that game in particular, I've never seen one person bend over 100-plus players in my life and just have his way with them. It was brutal. So you look at that and then see the team Iowa lost to in the Big Ten Championship game, Michigan State, get blasted by, I think, 30 by Alabama. Like, no Iowa fan really looks at it like, oh, man, what could have been if they beat Michigan State? No, I, I have a pretty good idea of what would have happened if they beat Michigan State. Because Michigan State beat Iowa. 
Alabama beat Michigan State by 30. So, and Iowa got beat by Stanford. Like in the game, the season 09, Iowa lost two games by like a combined 10 points. I could, I don't, that's not exact, but I think it was like combined 10 points. Like they, that was the season where you were going to have a season like that. And Northwestern derailed it because they injured Ricky Stancy. They injured Ricky Stancy. If they didn't injure Ricky Stancy, who knows what the hell Iowa would have done in the national championship game if they would have been grateful enough to go to that game. And it started off with a rough block, double block field goal against you and I in week one. Craziness. Craziness. Because <laughs> that game, Iowa versus you and I, was eerily similar in the fact that, man, Iowa did not play very good against the FCS opponent week one. Except that Iowa team would blast this Iowa team. Maybe not, maybe not. But the receivers were elite in that team. DJK and Marvin McNutt. Whew. A prime Adam Robinson, Brandon Wager. Whew. O-line was better. Quarterback was way better. Defense had some ballers on it, too. So it's not even like the defense. And the special teams, Ryan Donahue was a baller at Iowa. Absolute baller. But back to this game. Back to the, the game from Saturday. Just easy. Like, Iowa moved the ball with relative ease on Saturday. Now, they ended drives with field goals in the most frustrating way possible. Like, they had a nine, like their first three drives of the game. Or the, the, the three drives where they score touchdowns or score points. 9, 14, and 15. That's what you're looking for to establish something on offense. Something. Extensive, long drives. Which Iowa has seemingly not been able to do this entire season. And this was a game where Peter started, which I don't think a lot of Iowa fans were surprised about that. Like, they just wanted to appease Iowa fans out there by going, oh, what we're thinking about it, because they had Spencer Peters or Alex Padilla, they weren't thinking about it. That was literally just for the fans' sake. Just for fans' sake. They were like, hey, look at this. Look at this. We're thinking about it. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. See, look how bad he was against Ohio State. Why would we make the change? Look at Peters. Look what he did against Northwestern. 220 and a touchdown. No picks. It was an insane game. Wait, it was... I. This is a game where, in reality, like if you just look at it just as the teams and see how bad Northwestern's been this year, this is a game where you really should look at it and go, okay, Iowa really shouldn't have a lot of problems this, with this game. They let Wisconsin score 42 points on them at home. Connect State is notoriously one of the toughest places to play in college football. They shouldn't have problems with Northwestern, especially since they're having quarterback problems in their own right. I didn't know that they benched Ryan Helinski. That shows how much I've been following Northwestern football all year. Brandon Sullivan started the game for Northwestern. Had two more completions than Peters, one more touchdown. But a little more frustrating game from Sullivan's part than Peters is. It was just that Iowa could run. They ran the ball particularly well. Northwestern did not. Northwestern averaged .5 yards a carry. .5. You know, that's, that is brutal. Like, Spencer Peters averaged .2 yards a carry. And as a team, you averaged .5. Granted, Brandon Sullivan had negative 42 yards. That's not really, that's a, that's got a, not a recipe for success. But good win for Iowa. Really good win for Iowa. They needed something like that. Now, do I think they're going to go on and win the rest of their games and be bowl eligible? At this point, no, not really. I don't really think Iowa's going to be bowl eligible. I don't think they'll play particularly well against Purdue. I think Purdue is a tough team. Aiden O'Connell's a very solid quarterback for them. They've obviously got two Iowa transfers and Charlie Jones and Tyrone Tracy. Charlie Jones has 840 yards this season, receiving with nine touchdowns. Like, they're they're a good offensive unit. Their defense is not, like, amazing, 
But it's not bad either. North Purdue opens up at four and a half point favorites. ESPN gives it a 69 LOL percent chance to win this game against Iowa. It's at Purdue. Iowa, though, this is big. This is very big. Iowa is now averaging more points scored than they've given up. Yeah, you know, that's that's big. That is big. I guess when you play a team that's this season, a borderline FCS team in Northwestern, you're going to have those happen. Let's get another nice, cool, crisp sip of an Easy Eddie right here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You remember in The Office where Kevin's eating candy bars and Angela and Oscar are like, hey, Kevin, you don't need to say, oh, yeah, after every time you bite a new candy bar. And Kevin likes, I can't help it. It's just so good. And he takes another sip. Oh, yeah. That's kind of how I'm feeling right now. Sponsor me, big bro. <laughs> Look how much I love your product. This is Jared's doing. This is Jared's doing. My roommate from UNI. We, we got done playing soccer today. Jared is a very, very good soccer player. So if you, if you are wanting to see a technician at work, you would want to watch Jared play soccer. That's that's how I would describe it. It is just. Have you ever heard of Lionel Messi? Have you heard of Cristiano Ronaldo? Imagine those two combined. He's got Messi's skill with Cristiano Ronaldo's height. Like that's what he's. It's beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful display of footballing or soccer excellence. And he is the one that persuaded me. Well, he didn't really persuade. He said, "Hey, I'm going to go to Quick Star Get Easy Eddie. Do you want to come? Yeah, I'll go. <laughs> I'll get some too." So that's what happened. That's what happened. But I, I think the game against Purdue, Purdue's coming off a loss to Wisconsin. They had a bye week last week, but their last game they played lost to Wisconsin. A tough game. Tough, tough game for them. They're five and three right now. Iowa's four and four. Like I don't know. I think I think Purdue will win. But we're sitting here on Wednesday. It feels like a Monday, doesn't it? It feels like a Monday. At least to me, it feels like a Monday. I didn't really get a lot done on Sunday. <laughs> so, <laughs> but then after the Iowa game, we uh, we had a Halloween costume party. We had a costume party. And me, Jared, and then his girlfriend, and then Andrew, my other roommate from you and I, and then his girlfriend. And Jared's girlfriend actually has a podcast. You can check it out. It's called Let's Dish. You can search that on Apple Podcast or on, on Spotify, at least. I don't know about Apple Podcasts. Then we brought this show up before, but. While we're on the topic of Friends Podcast, you can go and listen to Dip Lips. It's Alec. I've been on Alec and Dean's podcast before. And it's actually Jared's girlfriend, Miranda, and Alec's fiance, Liberty. They have a podcast together. Alec and Dean got a podcast together. So yeah, go and check those out on Spotify. At least Spotify. I don't know if they're on Apple Podcasts or any other streaming platforms, but at least check them out on Spotify. Leave them rating out of five stars as well. But uh, we went as the Mystery Gang. For those of you unaware, uh, the Mystery Gang is Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, Shaggy, Fred, Daphne, and Velma. Now, ironically, Jared does not have shaggy hair. Jared's a pretty well-kept individual. Big beard, but, like, very well-kept individual regardless. So it was kind of like, wow, that's not what shaggy looks like. Andrew is bald. So Andrew's bald with with no facial hair. He's actually got one eyebrow, too. And I, when I say one eyebrow, I know a lot of you are thinking, like, oh, man, he's got one eyebrow shaved. No, he's got a unibrow. He's got one eyebrow, one singular eyebrow. So we were a very eclectic group. Very eclectic group, at least from the gentleman's side of things. And I had a Scooby-Doo onesie that had, a, a, a like, a hood thing with eyes and a mouth and tongue and everything. So I had to wear a hat because I did not need that thing drooping down in my face the entire night. And that thing got hot as balls. Good lord! Not that I know what, what balls, what they what they feel like, but it got hot. It was so hot. So when we were we were at the bars later, 
uh, I'm t- I'm over 21, so it's fine. Uh, we went to the bars later, and you're at these bars, and there's a lot of people. I mean, it's it's Saturday. Everybody just watched Iowa have an insane victory over Northwestern. So they're going to be partying. They're going to be partying. Iowa State had a really tough loss to Oklahoma. They had a weird pitch field goal thing that I still don't I, – for how many years I played football, for how many years I've watched football and grown up around football – and how much I like to think I know about football. I still don't... I, I, I Well, I found this out week one, actually, with the Saints. When Jameis Winston got the intentional grounding because he held the ball too long when he was spiking it. I didn't know that was a thing. Didn't know you could get intentional groundings on a spike, but it makes sense. But what I'm talking about here is the the, the holder had his knee... Like, I've never really... is it like have to, Does it have to be instant? Where the holder gets rid of the ball, and he's got his knee down, and he just pitched it. Like, LSU used to run it all the time. I don't remember who their kicker was, but they used to run a play... Where they'd snap the ball, the kicker would run behind the holder, and he'd throw it over his head without looking. Sick play. Look it up if you haven't. But I never understood those things. But Oklahoma ended up winning the game fairly easily. Taylor Decker did not have his best game. And after that game, after you and I's win against Southern Illinois, closer game than expected. You and I got out to a pretty big lead in one point, and then allowed Southern Illinois to creep their way back into the game. <laughs> and they won the game 36-37. to Yeah, you and I was up 28-17 to at halftime. 137-36. You and I's offense is awesome. And Theo Day has to be, and Cole, Cole Bear on Cole and Company, the show I go up to and do in Cedar Falls, he tweeted this after the game that there's no reason why Theo Day shouldn't be the Missouri Valley Conference Offense Player of the Year. Maybe just Player of the Year in general. Theo Day is playing in an insane clip right now. And before you try to discredit him for being an FCS quarterback, I think he's the best quarterback currently in the state of Iowa right now. And I think UNI's offense is the most fun to watch in the state of Iowa right now. UNI's offense is awesome. And I kind of joked around about it at the beginning of the season where it was like, oh, UNI's got an offense that's tailor-made just for them, as you know most offenses are. So we kind of joked around about that. But it's fun. Like, the past few seasons, UNI's offense has borderline not an offense. Like, it was just dry. There's nothing moving on from Like, it was just nothing was going on. Nothing worked. And Theo, like they had no run game. The pass game was dead. You had really good wide receivers, but the pass game was overall dead. But this year, good Lord, Theo Day is playing insane. This is one of the best games you and I quarterback has probably ever had. He had four touchdown, passing touchdowns in the first half. He finished with five of them. He had 330 yards and five touchdowns with 27 and 32, 335 touchdowns. Now, he's not the most fleet-footed, but he can, he can run when necessary, but he's not the most fleet-footed out there. He's a very awkward-looking individual, at least on the football. He's kind of got a hunchback. He's a big dude, 6'5", probably 230. He's a big dude. Michigan State transfer, Michigan State transfer. Handing off to the Kansas transfer, Dom Williams, and throwing to the Kansas transfer. (laughs) Oh, crap. I'm completely blanking right now. Oh, no. It's not Dion. Who? Oh, my God. I am blanking really hard right now. What the hell is going on in my brain? Oh my God! What Quan Hampton? Good God! Why could I not think of his name? Quan Hampton's a baller. Quan Hampton didn't play Saturday, but Quan Hampton's a baller. Quan Hampton's a baller. But Sam Sam Schnee has been balling out at wide receiver. Former running back moving out to wide receiver, balling out this year, leading the Panthers in receiving yards. Dion McShane, baller, has been a baller for the past few seasons. Vance McShane, his brother, led the Panthers in rushing at seventy-two yards rushing on the game. Like you and I's offense is just so fun. 
and I know they're an SDS school, so not a lot of people are going to go out of their way and watch you and I. Even though here in the Central Iowa area, when they play at home, they're on Channel 23 KCWI. And you can watch them on ESPN Plus as well. I know it's not the greatest broadcast of all time, but hell, I worked for ESPN Plus while I was up at UNI. So I know it. And this game next week, they play South Dakota State. If you want to watch South Dakota State against a good team, <laughs> at least a good offense, watch this game. Watch South Dakota State versus you and I. Like, South Dakota State's got some ballers on their team as well. Isaiah Davis at running back. Baller. We knew that, though. We knew that going into the season. Like, Gronowski, really good quarterback, really solid quarterback. But I I don't really think right now. So, before the season started, I kind of had that conversation with myself. Is it is Theo Day the best quarterback in the state of Iowa? And I said that before I watched Taylor Deckers, and I think Taylor Deckers can do more with the ball in his hands. He's more he's a better athlete than the likes of Petrus and, and uh, Theo Day. But he can just be so frustrating. He's a, he's been mostly a walking turnover this year. It's not it's it's been a rough season for for Iowa State in general. They're not as good as what you would want them to be. Iowa and Iowa State this season it's been really rough on the fan experience. And this game against Oklahoma, I really thought Iowa State would be able to win. I thought they'd cover, but it was a one point game. So in that aspect, I just thought they'd win. They did not. Hunter Deckers had three interceptions, threw three interceptions in the game. Did have 31 rushing yards. Had a long at 28, though. Xavier Hutchinson had 22, 72 yards receiving in the game. Dimitri Stanley had 90 yards receiving. It was just a tough game. Tough. I didn't see the early portions of this game because I was helping my grandparents move furniture around because they just got a new hardwood in the kitchen. So I was helping them move stuff around, but this is rough. This is rough. The offense for Oklahoma, just speaking on Oklahoma, it's crazy how much better they look with Dylan Gabriel. I'm not saying Dylan Gabriel played his best game ever on Saturday, but he's just so much better than the other quarterbacks they have. Just so much better. Eric Gray had a really, really nice game in this game. The game in this game. Marvin Mims, they kind of shut him down in this game. Only 16 yards receiving for, for Oklahoma. He's their best player, best receiver anyways. But yeah, Dylan Gabriel. I don't. I, I brought this up when I was on Cole and Company on Friday before I did the Cedar Falls game. Is this when's the last time you had a left-handed quarterback versus a left-handed quarterback? At least the ones that you can think of. No, no looking it up. No looking it up. When is the last time you thought or you saw two left-handed quarterbacks go back and forth with each, with each other? NFL, college, like what are you gonna see? You'd probably think of like Vic versus Brunel? Late Steve Steve Young versus Brunel? Like the NFL especially recently, does not really have... I know they have Tua. Kellen Moore was a left-handed quarterback. There's not a lot of lefty quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And before Tua got drafted, the last quarterback that was a left-handed play, left-handed to play in the NFL was Kellen Moore. Like it's been, There's not a long history of left-handed quarterbacks. When you're talking about the greatest left-handed quarterbacks of all time, you're sport for choice here. I can think of, off the top of my head, and there might be some that I forget, Let's try to name 10. Let's try to name 10. In the NFL, college is just such a vast variety of quarterbacks. So you could have like some guy that played for San Jose State that was a left-handed quarterback. Like, Logan, how do you not remember this guy? This guy threw 28 touchdowns and three picks in 20, I don't know, 2007. I don't know. But I know like Kellen Moore. I know Tua. We're talking about college quarterbacks that I remember watching. Not old enough to remember watching Vic, Steve Young, Burnell, all in college. But I remember watching Tua and Kellen Moore. Jake Christensen, left-handed quarterback. But Hunter Deckers, Dylan Gabriel, so that's five. <laughs> but looking at NFL quarterbacks, we're trying to name 10, okay? You can play along with this as well. And you can yell at me if you don't know that I can, oh, you can't, you, how are you not naming any other left-handed quarterbacks? How do you not know this? So easy. 
But here's the left-handed quarterbacks I can think of off the top of my head. So we got Vic. We got Steve Young, the two greatest left-handed quarterbacks of all time, bar none. Unless I'm forgetting about somebody. Boomer Siason won an MVP with the Bengals, went to a Super Bowl, does stuff with NFL, uh, with CBS Sports now. Mar- uh, Mark Brunel, I think he's the OC of the Lions. No, not OC, but he's the he's the quarterback's coach of the Detroit Lions. Scott Mitchell, I'm just going to go old guys first, speaking of the Detroit Lions. He was the quarterback when Barry Sanders was there. He's the back of Dan Reno for years. He kind of had the Rob Johnson treatment where the starter gets hurt. He plays like one good game and then everybody's obsessed with this guy. Like Scott Mitchell did that. Dan Marino was hurt. Scott Mitchell comes in, plays well, and then goes up to Detroit with a massive-ass contract. Doesn't do anything in Detroit. Well, yeah, no, I shouldn't say anything. That's a little bit mean. He didn't put up amazing numbers while in Detroit. He had some decent season. I think he went to a Pro Bowl once, but not not anything super spectacular there. And then Rob Johnson, of course, Mark Brunel gets hurt. Rob Johnson goes up to Buffalo. That one did not work out. Scott Mitchell at least had some moments. Rob Johnson never had one. Rob Johnson's only moment is the fact that he took the starting job for Doug Flutie in the playoff game against the Titans because he had one good game against the Colts. The last meaningless game, last game of the season. So how many have we named so far? We've got Vic, Young, Brunel, Scott Mitchell, Esiason, Jeff George. I believe Jeff George was left-handed. He played his number one pick for the Colts. Then he went to the Falcons, Vikings, Raiders. Any other teams I'm forgetting about in there? He had a pretty – like, people make fun of Jeff George all the time. He's like uber talented, but not very smart. He did have a fairly decent career, decently long career as well, but he bounced around every team because he was locker room cancer. Uh, any other quarterbacks I'm blanking on? I have six right now. I'm trying to name ten. Uh, and I remember like seeing videos of Jerry Rice complaining originally about Steve Young because you don't think about this that often, but... The ball spins differently out of a left-handed quarterback's hand versus a right-handed quarterback. You don't really think... It's, I mean, it's obvious, but you don't really... It's not really something you ponder that often. Who else was a left-handed quarterback? I don't, I don't want to name the two ones that we've already stated. Well, I, okay, we're going to name them eventually, but I would, like to, I would like to get some more before I name those two. Who else would be up there? I almost said Joe Theismann, but he wasn't left-handed. Joe Theismann play any left-handed quarterbacks? Oh, God. Um, okay, Tua, Kellen Morris. So we have eight. I just want to give myself eight. Take another sip of Easy Eddie. I'm getting parched just thinking about this. Oh, man. Oh, man. So we're at eight. That would been really funny if I thought of one right there. I could say Easy Eddie has gives you, like, brain powers or something. Uh, two more. I, I need to name two more. Just for my own sanity, I need to name two more. There's got to be two that I'm completely blanking on. I feel like Neil O'Donnell was probably left-handed. <laughs> maybe Rob Johnson was left-handed, too. Maybe he was left-handed. Uh, maybe that's some quarterback's problems. They're left-handed. Like Ben Simmons shoots left-handed, probably right-handed, because he shoots like ass. He shoots like me. Like, he shoots like me, normally. Like, that's how bad it is. I'm not a good. I'm not that good at basketball. I'm fast and semi-athletic, so I can... I can do all that stuff, but I cannot shoot. I can't shoot. Um, what else is there? This is really, this is this is really bothering me now. Oh, uh, Jared Lorenzen, Todd Marinovich, yes, yes, we named ten. 
I was thinking about Todd. I I was thinking about Todd Marinovich last weekend. No, Cole brought him up on Cole and Company. We were talking, thinking of left-handed quarterbacks. Todd Marinovich got brought up. Jared Lorenzen's a weird one. R.I.P. to Jared Lorenzen, but he never really played that much in the NFL. Can I come up with another one? Because those all the guys I've met, nah, Kellen Moore barely played too. So I guess I guess I could say that. Shout out to Easy Eddie for the the brain surge there. But yeah, I I <laughs> I think it's funny that I thought of those two at the exact same time. I don't know why those two popped in my head just randomly. Why well, I, I said something about like in my head I was like hefty lefty. Ah, that's kind of funny. Oh, Jared Lorenzen and then Todd Marinovich randomly popped up. Is there any other lefties though? Or can't think of, those are the top ten lefties of all time because <laughs> I can't think of any more. Kellen Moore. <laughs> but yeah, this was a, a lefty on lefty matchup. Weird. But after the LS, the Iowa State defeat, after the UNI win, and after the Iowa wins, we had a mixed group of happy and sad people, mostly Iowa State fans. I don't really think a lot of people that were at, uh, what was it, Shotgun Betty's, really knew what happened to the UNI game. I at least, I watched it. So I, <laughs> I had the, I, the UNI, at least the first half, then I met up with my friends. But I had the UNI game on the TV to my left. I had the Iowa game on the big TV. Halftime came, and then I got ready for the, the stuff. But yeah, the mystery machine, the mystery gang, mystery gang. I grew up with, <laughs> so I don't know how many people out there had, I mean, I'm sure there's quite a bit out there. Maybe I'm just crazy, but I don't know how many people, at least in my neighborhood friend group and some of the people outside of it, I don't know how many people, like, you know of Scooby-Doo, but how many people actually watched Scooby-Doo? Like, we didn't have cable television growing up. We didn't have direct TV. We didn't have Dish, Mediacom, whatever. We didn't have that. So we just had a crap ton of shows and movies, and we would go to family video all the time. So we had, like, Scooby-Doo meets Batman and Robin. So we had a couple episodes of that. We had Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Well, it's the same thing, essentially. Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Scooby-Doo meets Batman and Robin. And then there was another Scooby-Doo show more recently, and they had different clothes on. It was weird. And then you obviously have the Scooby-Doo live-action stuff. But it's it's fun. Scooby-Doo's fun. Halloween's fun. Again, I said this on Friday. Halloween's a very fun holiday. You get to dress up. You get to be someone different. And I was Scooby-Doo. But the problem is, that onesie gets hot. I've never worn a onesie before, really. So, I got hot. And does anyone out there know how to wash a onesie? Especially one with a tail and stuff on top. Like, can you wash that in a washer? I don't know if you can dry it in a dryer. It's probably going to be air dried, but I don't know how to necessarily wash it. Because I was sweating. I had to take, I had to undo the top and just tie it around my waist because I was sweating so much. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. Especially when you're at these bars with all these packed people. Uh, all these people in a packed bar, you get hot really easily. So I was sweating like crazy. I had to take it off. I was like, I'm just chilling. And then Sunday comes around, and then again, the Bills play Sunday Night Football, play the Packers. Tough game. Tougher game than what it probably should have been. But they ended up winning the game, 27-17. Josh Allen probably played his worst game of the season. Not probably, did. Threw two really bad interceptions. Looked really good in the first half. Like, it looked like it was going to be a route. It was 24-7 at halftime. It was going to be an absolute rout. And then the offense just decided to shut down. Just to not do anything. Now, I did see this, and I find this so weird. I, there's no way this could be right. It, but it, one of the verified uh, channel accounts with that host the NFL, they, they posted on Twitter. So I was like, okay, this one must be true then. But the Bills are the only team in the NFL to rush for over 100 yards in every game as a team? That's so weird to me. That's so weird to me. And we'll get to the NFL trade deadline here in a little bit, but that was so weird to me. So, so weird. 
And Devin Singletary had a nice game this game. James Cook showed off his speed throughout the game. Josh Allen ran over some people, got ran over himself, and then got up like a freaking psychopath and said, I love this shit, I love this shit. It's like, okay, you're scaring me. You're scaring me. The Bills ended up scoring on the drive. Diggs had over 100 yards receiving, and him and Jair Alexander got into it before the game. And Packers pages were really weird after this game. They were like, oh, Jair Alexander, zero catches, zero yards when thrown at, when Stephon Diggs was covering him. He covered him three times. Like, it wasn't like he matched up against him. Jair Alexander's not following anybody. Like, Jair Alexander, after the game or even before the game, was like, yeah, I said he was a decent receiver. You called him a little boy. Diggs had over 100 yards receiving. You never matched up against him once. It was after, like, the whole thing with the, the Justin Jefferson thing. Like, I didn't. I, I, that's not how we play. If I would do it, I would guard him every time. And then he, you see plays where he just gets absolutely cooked by Justin Jefferson. It's like, dude, come on. I understand cornerback's a really tough position. It's one of the toughest positions to play in sports. And, but he didn't. It's, Diggs ain't no little boy, dude. Let's stop that. Let's nip that right there in the bud. Diggs leads the NFL in receiving touchdowns this year. Stephon Diggs, and I don't even know how that's a thing. Because he covered him three times. Diggs had eight targets for six catches. So I don't know how that thing worked out. Because I've seen it all over Twitter. They guarded each other three times. And they never followed him once. Never once. Well, you look at some of the elite shutdown cores. you got Darrell Revis. Jay- well, Jalen's had some struggles this year. But normally Jalen, Patrick Peterson when he was in his prime with Arizona, they followed people. They mirrored people. Jerry Alexander, you can say it's your defense. If you see Diggs on the other side and you're talking all that shit beforehand... You can't let Duke go for 108 yards in a touchdown. One of the craziest plays I've seen all year. I don't know. I, I respect Jair Alexander. I think he's a really good corner. I think he's one of the best corners in the NFL. But that that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Let's not go down the trash talk route where uh, you're not really... You're saying a lot without saying anything, really. It's kind of one of those situations. But for the Packers' sake, on offense, they went away from throwing the ball. Rodgers looked really frustrated throughout the majority of the game. Uh, Romeo Dobbs had a very, very nice catch in the end zone for a touchdown. And Ra- Aaron Jones, we know he's a baller. We know he's a baller. But the Bills just didn't want to tackle him. Like, the Bills, it was it was funny because you listen to what they talked about after the game. The Bills were expecting the Packers to come out and run. The Bills have the number one rush defense in all the NFL right now. At least they did. I don't know if it's still the case. But Aaron Jones just had the way because the Bills played with their normal passing secondary. They played with a 4-2-5 second defense. Like, you're... They're expecting the, They're asking the Packers to run. They're begging you to run the ball. They're, they're asking the Packers to run, essentially. And Aaron Jones ate up some yards. Aaron Jones averaged 7.2 yards carry. Packers had over 200 yards rushing in the game. Like, it was... Packers had a really good day running the ball. Bills had a really good day running the ball. Josh Allen had 49 yards. Singletary at 67. A lot of those came on the second drive of the game. But it was a, it was a frustrating win. And I saw this on Twitter. I don't remember who posted it. But it was like the Bills are playing their C game. This is a C game for the Bills, and they still won by 10. The Bills did not play good, and yet they still win by 10. That's a really good problem to have. That is a very, very, very good problem to have. Where you're not at your best, and you still manage to beat Aaron Rodgers by 10 points. I understand there's other factors here. Quay Walker had an insane play where he pushed a coach, or the coach trying to get him help, help him up. I don't know what was said, but it was just weird. I didn't even look like he said anything. He was just lifting him off the ground, and then Quay Walker pushed him. I don't know. It was a very, very odd play. And, uh, yeah, I got ejected for that. But it was just a, an odd, odd game. I think that's the best way I could describe it. Just an odd game. The Bills early on dominated again. It was 24-7 at halftime. It looked like it was going to be another Steelers game. 
But they ended up winning 38-7. Like, it was going to be an absolute rout. And then the Bills just didn't show up in the third or the fourth quarter. They allowed the Packers to creep back into the game, score a touchdown late. They missed a field goal. And Andrew, the person we talked about earlier, is a big Packers fan. He bet on the Packers, the Bills, to cover in this game. Because a lot of people out there were like, if the Bills don't dominate this game, this is going to be really upsetting. I don't know. I, I don't know if you would say that they dominated. I don't. It's one. It's one of those weird things. Like they looked, they did not look good. This was not one of their better games, and Josh wasn't even pressured that much on the game on the plays where he threw the interceptions. It was like just mental mistakes on those games. Like two hundred eighteen yards, two touchdowns, two picks, two pretty nice touchdowns. One to Dawson Knox, one to Stephon Diggs. Do I still think after this game, though, Josh didn't play his best game? That he's the MVP of the league? Yes, I don't think that's really changed in anybody's mind at this point. Sure, he's not leading the NFL in passing yards right now, but as as far as I'm concerned, Josh Allen's still the best player in the NFL, and he should win the MVP. I think he will walk away with the MVP this year. Once we're all said and done, I think we'll be looking back and go, okay, Josh Allen, yeah, the game wasn't the greatest. Game was not the best. I think it's a two-horse race. Well, you could. I don't want to disrespect Jalen Hurts, but for the most part, it's between Josh and Mahomes. As it's going to be throughout the rest of NFL history, at least what, as long as they're playing, that's going to be NFL history for you. But I did not sit down and watch a lot of NFL football on Sunday. Again, I talked about, I, I had Red Zone on. I had Red Zone on, but it was on the tiny TV. And I had fe- I, either FIFA or Chell on the big TV. I don't remember what game I was playing. But FIFA or Chell, and then I hung out with some friends after. Like, it, and then we had a Halloween party that night, so we watched the Bills-Packers game while dressed. I went as coach. I had a, a button-up shirt on, a white button-up shirt with a tie, khaki pants, and then one of my Bills jackets on. Had a Bills hat and some sunglasses on. Had a football. Jared is his girlfriend. Surprisingly, I don't even know how this happened. Jared and his girlfriend watched Josh Allen jerseys. Mm, easy, Eddie. Done it again. But they rocked Josh Allen jerseys. Now, screw Jared, first off, because Jared took the jersey off before the game started and put on his stupid, ugly-ass Adam Thielen jersey. Fair play to Miranda, though. She wore the jersey throughout. Like, we had a vote for the best costume. I was like, well, I could put Jared for being a coward, but Andrew Andrew had a sick Caterpillar costume that he took off after .5 seconds. I was going to vote for him, but he had the amount of time he wore it didn't matter. So I was like, oh, I'll vote for Miranda. She wore a Bills jersey. We're going to vote for Miranda. And Alec, he was Ricky Bobby. I was like, oh, Alec would be a fun one, but I think a lot. I think he's the host. Dad's parents' house. I can't vote for a guy who's hosting. And then I looked around everybody else. I couldn't remember the names of some of them. So I ended up just voting for Miranda because she had a Bills jersey on. That was it. So I'm the Bills-Vikings games takes place on November 13th. And that's going to be a fun day. Hopefully... Hopefully on the right side, the Bills come out with a victory, but I'm at the point now where if the Bills are playing some of my friends' teams that they're expecting the Bills to route them, and I don't really know if I like that feeling or not. I don't know if I like it. I made Jared finally bet me. Jared bet me. He bet me $10 in Kansas City, but he was our witness when we went to the Bills-Chiefs game. But I, I don't know if I like that pressure, and it's no pressure on me, really, but the Bills players aren't going to hear it from my friends. Josh Allen's not going to know what the hell Brady said after the game. So I'm not, I have to deal with it. I have to bear that. But thankfully, I feel like I'm mentally strong enough to bear all that. I'm the bigger person. But I, I don't like it, though. I like it, I don't like it. Like, because then if you if you win, 
It's like, oh yeah, you expected. It's one of those lose lose situations. You can't win. Like, oh yeah, I expected that. And then you go, oh, you lost to the Packers, which is insane to think about given how the Bills and Packers histories have been, especially the last 20 years at least. Though the Packers only came away with one Super Bowl, just how good, different the teams were. And the Packers are not, I don't, they're 0 7, 0 6 in Buffalo. That's weird. That's very weird. 0 7, 0 6 in Buffalo. It wasn't a. It started off as a dominating win, and then the second half came along, and it just wasn't a dominating win anymore. It was just a normal win, double digit win. That is the Bills' what one, two, three, fourth double digit win on the season. And they play the Jets this week. Then the Vikings, Browns, Lions, Patriots, Jets, Dolphins, Bears, Bengals, and Patriots. And I've got friends that are fans of the Vikings, and the Patriots, and the Bears. So, I know all those games, I'm going to hear, oh, you should be winning this game by a lot. What's the, the spread already? Or not spread, but according to ESPN, oh, they, they already got early spread. The early spread for the Vikings-Bills game, both teams are 6-1, and one, mind you, is 9.5 for the early spread of the Bills-Vikings game. 9.5. According to ESPN, the Bills have an 83.6% chance to win this game. And you know what? I'm going to hear Jerry go, yep, they should beat them by that. Now, Jared's going to say some stuff before the game starts. But, I don't know. I'm, I'm ready for the game. I don't want to get too cocky as the season progresses, but I look at the schedule, and I said this during the Dolphins game, and we'll talk about the trade deadline here in a little bit, but I look at the schedule, and I'm like, there's not a lot of games where I'm like particularly nervous about, especially since all the tough games, apart from the Bengals game, all the really tough games are at home, generally speaking. Like, you've got the Vikings at home, the Browns at home, the well, you got the Jets, and all the division rivals are home and away. They played the Dolphins already on the road. They're back at home in December. Like, you've got your tough games of the season. Like, you had, apart from the Chiefs, you had the Titans at home, and the, the Rams and Ravens, but you had the Titans at home, you had the Steelers at home, Packers, Vikings, Browns, Patriots. Well, I'm not, I shouldn't say the, the division teams, because that's 50-50. But yeah, I don't, I'm not really nervous. And you when they look at, like, Generally, like I think the vast audience out there, I think everybody out there is really considering the Bills and the Eagles to be the two best teams in the NFL. And the Eagles are really weird because Eagles' schedule is cake. Like the Eagles' schedule is not hard at all, but it's one of those weird things where, yeah, their schedule is easy, but it's not like they're struggling in any of these games. They're not struggling. They're blowing teams out of the water. Sure, they had a tough game against the Cardinals. They had a weird game against the Jaguars where they started off 14-0 down. They came back in that game, though. Threw a pick six on, I think, of the first drive of the game. But they're... And yet, they're, the rest of their schedule is cake as well. They're probably going to finish the... I could see them realistically finish the season undefeated. Like, you got the Texans, Commanders, Colts, Packers, Titans, Giants, Bears, Cowboys, Saints, and Giants. Before the season started, people expected the Colts to be good, the Packers to be good, Titans to be decent, Cowboys, Saints. Like, people expected those teams to be good. In reality... The good teams are the freaking Giants. <laughs> the Giants are the best record that they play the rest of the season. The Giants. And that game's always tough. It's a rivalry game. One of the biggest rivalries in the only NFL. The NFL history. That's one of the biggest rivalries in league history. Hold on. I'm sorry. When I when I talk for long periods of time, I when I do the show, I always grab something and just play with it while I'm talking. <laughs> I don't I don't normally do that. Like when I'm just in general conversation with people that takes long hours. Or long, long periods of time. I don't normally do this, but it's just something to do on the show. It's like a lug nut screw type thing. 
I don't know. Just gives me something to do with my hands while I'm also drinking an Easy Eddie. Oh, oh man. Ugh. Just I feel so rejuvenated after that. But the Eagles, I I'm not gonna sit here and go, oh, they're only good because they're scheduled. Like last year, the Eagles were not very good. And their schedule was easy. So you could go like, oh, last year the Eagles walked into the playoffs because they had an easy schedule. This year they have an easy schedule, sure, but they're winning these games fairly convincingly. Like if, if they weren't winning convincingly, I think a lot of people would look at the this team a whole hell of a lot differently than what we currently do because they're good. They're good. And at that when we were at the Halloween party, and I think the Eagles are gonna be the same thing. I got a friend Jake who's an Eagles fan. We went to Buffalo with him and his dad a few years ago to watch Bill's Eagles, which the Eagles dominated the game. Carson Wentz had a really good day running the ball. It was raining. It was cold. and Exactly what the Bills drafted Josh Allen for, right? But it, it, it didn't work out that way. But at the Halloween party, I'm walking around with the Bills stuff on. And obviously, Jared Miranda have their Bills stuff on as well. And I look around. Like, everybody's like, oh, man. Bills. Like I think it's Alex's uncle, I think. And he literally said before the game started that... Man, if the, like I said earlier, if the Bills don't blow out the Packers, I'll be disappointed. That's going to be the rest of the season. That's really going to be the rest of the season. If the Bills don't blow out the Jets, we'll be disappointed. If the Bills don't blow out the Patriots, we'll be disappointed. It's you got to live with it. You got to live with it. And I think the Bills, who are six and one now, you know, that one loss coming to the weather because the Dolphins. I don't care how many receiving yards Tyreek Hill has. I do not care. They are not very good. They're not good. They got they got Bradley Chubb today. Congratulations. I don't care what RG3 says. Dude said the, the Dolphins' Super Bowl chances have shot up tremendously. Bull shit they have. <laughs> what? Have you watched the Dolphins this year? Like, really. I mean, they had an impressive fourth quarter against the Ravens. And you're like, oh, well, the games Tua didn't play, they lost. Tua's not anything special. I could underthrow receivers like that. And I don't like saying that. I'm not anywhere near as accurate, because no, Tua's the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. But, like, he's got, I've got the same arm strength as Tua. I haven't played football in, what, three years? Four years? I've got the same arm strength as him. Like, the Dolphins, we talked about this before. The Dolphins' entire offense is crossing routes and slant routes. Stuff where you have the receiver in motion or, like, moving, throw it to them, they catch the ball, and they get yards up to catch. I don't know if this is true, but they have to be leading the NFL in yak. Which yards have to catch, which my dad hates that when NFL Network says, Yak, yards have to catch. They have to be leading in that. Like against the Steelers, they won 16 to 10. 16 to 10. That was when Tua was back at home on Sunday Night Football, 16 to 10 to the Steelers, a team that the Bills and the Eagles routed. Absolutely routed. And you lost, you beat the Lions by four. You had to come back in the fourth quarter against the Ravens. You had an insane weather advantage for the Bills because you blast the Bills' sideline that day, but then Miami's son blasted the Bills on the sideline, and then you didn't allow them to have any fans because the Dolphins, who were completely covered by the shade, their fans don't work. Well, I think you could see that the, the amount of fans working here does not really matter because you're in the shade. You don't need fans. The Bills getting blasted in 120-degree weather. There's like a 50-degree difference between the Dolphins' sideline and the Bills' sideline. It was ridiculous. Like, the Dolphins, I don't fear the Dolphins. I that's, I know they beat the Bills. I'm well aware of that. I watched the game. But I'm not scared of them. If the Dolphins somehow beat the Bills on December 18th, I will lose my mind. I don't know how that will happen. 
Because I really don't think there's any chance in hell. I'll give it like a 1% chance to happen. What is, the, what is ESPN's math? They give the Bills a 78.5% chance to win against the Dolphins in Buffalo in December. But the Dolphins are not that great. They're not. Tua's not. I'm tired of seeing like, Tua is this record as a starter. I don't give two shits about Tua's record. I do not. Because it's not on Tua. Sure, quarterbacks have a say in what happens in a game, but it's not 100%. It's not like, look at Tua's record. Look at Tua's record. Look at this. Look at this. I saw a screenshot the other day. Where the hell was it? It was, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Highest win percentage among quarterbacks drafted in 2020. Tua, 18-9. Jalen Hurts, 16-10. Joe Burrow, 16-16-1. And Justin Herbert, 19-20. Tua's not better than any of those quarterbacks. He's not. If you think he's better than those quarterbacks, I beg you to watch him because he's not that great. He's fine. He has the job. But he's a game manager. If you can tell me one good thing, like elite thing Tua does, I'll give you that. I will let you have it. I'll walk into the sun. Tua's not better than any of those quarterbacks. So I'm tired of seeing win percentage, win record, or wins and losses in determining who's a good quarterback. Do you have to be a good quarterback to win games? Yeah, but there's been a lot of bad quarterbacks that won a lot of games too. Bad quarterbacks have won Super Bowls before. So we're going by that metric. What, Trent Dilfer has a Super Bowl win, so he's better than Jim Kelly? Better than Dan Marino? Is that, is that what we're going on? Like, look at Super Bowl wins. Not look at any other factor, because we're going to talk about wins and losses in the regular season for quarterbacks, bringing a marker about who's better. But then we talk about Super Bowls. Well, obviously, Trent Dilfer's not better than Jim Kelly. Well, obviously, Tua's not better than Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Obviously. You just need to watch it. Now, the Chargers, that's a whole different story. They're an extremely frustrating team, and they'll probably struggle against the Falcons, even though they shouldn't struggle against the Falcons. But I do hope, though, that the Chargers do lose, because if they lose... That gives the Bills and Vikings game, which is a week after that, a better chance to get flexed to Sunday Night Football. You got two, potentially, because the Vikings play the Commanders, Bills play the Jets. Potentially, you've got two 7-1 teams, and then potentially, because the the, car, the Niners aren't a bye, you got potentially two 4-4 four four teams. Is that what you want, NFL? Is that what you want? You have two 7-1 teams playing at noon, and then you got to watch the Chargers and 49ers, two 4-4 four four teams. Exciting players. Exciting players throughout. Yeah, I understand that. But I'd rather watch the Bills-Vikings game on Sunday Night Football. Nine and a half, though. I've already said the Vikings are a weird team because you look at some of the games they've played. They haven't really been insanely convincing. I don't think their defense is anything particularly special. Like, the game against the Lions, they had to come back against them. They almost choked against the Bears. They were up big against the Bears, allowed them to come back in the game. Weird game against the Cardinals. So it's played. I, did they play the Dolphins' third string quarterback? Was it Skylar Thompson in this game? Oh, Teddy Bridgewater did play in this game. Teddy did play. But I, I think Teddy came off the bench, I believe, right? I think Skylar might have started that game. Teddy came off the bench, I think. But we were in Kansas City, so I didn't. I haven't seen anything from that game. But yeah, I, I was not necessarily not fully convinced. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think the three best teams in the NFL are the Bills, Eagles, and Chiefs. And then you're looking at the outside, looking at like four, five, six. Um, I would probably, probably, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm going to die on this hill, but I'm probably going to check something real quick. I'd probably say the Cowboys, maybe. 
Cowboys. I was I I, I like that Dak's back. Tony Pollard is slowly taking over at running back for the Cowboys. I know, like Jerry Jones, still obsessed with Zeke. He's still obsessed with Zeke. But again, it's like kind of an eye test thing. You can kind of just look at it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, Tony Pollard's better than Zeke. Tony Pollard's better. Sure, he wasn't drafted as high. So it's again, it's a simple thing where it's like, oh, he's drafted higher, so he's going to get more of a leeway. That's just how the NFL works. It's how being a high draft pick works. But I don't, I don't think Zeke's anything that special. I just don't. I think he's all right. Started off really good, but he's just kind of, he's kind of all right. It's kind of all right. But I don't know. I have a weird feeling with the Vikings. I think they've got a lot of talent. Very talented. Especially on offense. Like, Justin Jefferson is one of the best receivers in the NFL. Dalvin Cook's one of the best running backs in the NFL. Zadarius Smith's having a great year off the edge. I think he's leading the league in sacks this year. I think. He's definitely up there. Yeah, he's leading the league in, don't lead in sacks with uh, Matthew Judon. With not eight and a half sacks. Their secondary is not very good. Linebacking core is all right at best. I I have no real issues with Kirk. Their old line's not fantastic. It's not terrible as it's what it what it has been. They just traded for TJ Hawkinson. I like that trade a lot. I like that trade a lot. Don't know why the Lions traded in division, but that's that's whatever. And well, I guess while we're on the topic of that, TJ Hawkinson, I think it's a great get. Irv Smith Jr. To, to, I remember when Irv Smith Jr. first got drafted. The, first off, the fact that he wears 84 is a disgrace in its own self, in its own right. That dude's wearing Randy Moss's number. That's sad. That's very sad that he's wearing Randy Moss's number, one of the greatest receivers of all time. Top two greatest receiver of all time. And he's allowed, that dude's allowed to wear it. Dude can't catch for shit. So now you get TJ Hawkinson in, who is going to be an excellent addition to the Vikings, who are a traditionally... I know they got Justin Jefferson, who's going to be one of the best receivers in the NFL, always. But the Vikings like to run the ball. They got two really good, really talented running backs. They got Dalvin Cook, obviously, and then Alexander Madison. TJ Hawkinson is going to allow that running game to be even better because he's going to be a blocker. TJ Hawkinson is in that George Kittle, not exactly Gronk mold, but he's in that realm where he's a really, really good blocker. You could use him as an extra tackle, which is what the Lions have done. At least that's what the Lions did last year. They had a lot of O-line injuries. So TJ Hawkinson was a glorified what, sixth offensive lineman the entire season. His receiving numbers were not great, but he was a, a sixth offensive lineman pretty much. He can be that, but he's also ten times the receiver Irv Smith Jr. is. So this is just a move, and they didn't really give up a lot to get him, which is weird. When you look at in division right, this is why I don't like division right. The, the, the NFC North has been really weird. The Vikings have traded two draft picks. They traded with the Packers, who traded to get Christian Watson. They traded with the Lions, who got Jameson Williams. And then they just traded with the the freaking Lions again. But they got they sent a second-round pick and a third-round pick for TJ, a fourth-rounder, and a conditional fourth-rounder in 2024. That is a great trade. I don't really see how there's a loot. Unless TJ Hawkinson snaps his ankle or snaps his knee, like, it's that's a good trade for the, for the Vikings. That's a really good trade for the Vikings. I don't really see, again, unless he gets hurt initially, knock on wood, he doesn't, because I like TJ Hawkinson. I have no real issue with the Vikings. I need, I want him to do well. I always cheer for my Iowa boys to do well, and he's from Iowa, so that makes it even better. I always want my Iowa boys to do well. So, yeah, great trade. Absolutely, that was the first trade of the day, pretty much. I, there could have been some other small trade, but that was the first big trade that I saw. Then we had Bradley Chubb going to the Dolphins. We already talked about that one before. First-round draft pick. So the Broncos got a first-round draft pick back. So remember their first-round draft pick was in Seattle for Russell Wilson. And it's funny because you look at, like, the current draft order. The, the Seahawks have the 10th and the 20-something pick. 
<laughs> the tenth pick's the Broncos pick. <laughs> I guess I guess I don't know what it currently is. It could have changed. It could have fluctuated a little bit. The last time I checked, that was the that was the Broncos pick. I don't know if the Broncos have moved. Oh, they're now another oh, tenth pick still. They're tenth pick still. <laughs> and then they've got the twenty second, but now the Broncos got the twentieth. The Dolphins are instrumenting that my I, mindset of F them picks like the Rams did. Remember, they don't have a first-round draft pick to the whole Steven Ross thing this offseason. So they got their draft pick forfeited. So now they don't have a first-round draft pick anymore. But they got Bradley Chubb. I do not think that old, uh, boosted their Super Bowl chances. Bradley Chubb's good, but he's injured more often than he's not. He's a very good player. Very good player. I don't want to take anything away from Bradley Chubb as a player, but he gets hurt a lot. Calvin Ridley got traded to the Jaguars. So does this mean the Falcons are going to draft another wide receiver and neglect the other glaring issues in their team? I why why did you what? That trade confuses me. I don't understand that. I, Calvin Ridley's not even playing. He he's suspended the entire season. Remember because he made that egregious fifteen hundred dollar bet on an NFL sponsored site while he wasn't playing. That I mean it makes sense for the Jaguars. It's a good move for the Jaguars. Get Trevor Lawrence another option for next year. But, man, you had a receiving core of Drake London, Calvin Ridley, and Kyle Pitts. That was going to be fun. Now, you don't like to use Kyle Pitts. You rarely use Drake London. So maybe this was the better move for Calvin Ridley's future. Maybe that was the better move for Calvin Ridley's future. Roquan Smith got traded to the Ravens. That happened, I think, yesterday. I think, Monday. I think that happened Monday. I could be wrong, but that that was bound to happen. I don't know about the Ravens, but it was bound that he was going to get traded. Then you got Chase Claypool to the Bears. Speaking of the Bears again, uh, Claypool's not worth a second rounder. Don't think he's worth a second rounder, but I think this was one of the situations where the Steelers were like, "Hey, we got a lot of teams calling in for Claypool. For Claypool, you better up your offer. You like use the used car salesman tra- tra- sales strategy. Like if you don't hurry, somebody's gonna buy it. And the Bears got a rel- they got a new GM, so he's gonna be like, "Oh, we gotta get Claypool." And I think that's a smart move in hindsight. Like in regardless of the draft pick. Like, regardless of trading a second-round pick, I think Claypool's a fine receiver. I don't think he is a top-three receiver by any stretch of the imagination, like he said. But now, I can guarantee he's a top-three receiver on the Bears. That's a good... I like I like that get. I like that get for the Bears in regards to what it does for Justin Fields. You're actually giving him somebody. You traded away Robert Quinn to the Eagles. You traded away Roquan Smith to the Ravens. Get a receiver in. I like it. I, I don't, I'm not a massive fan of Claypool, but he's not a bad option. He's not a bad option. We obviously have Kadarius Tony going to the Giants or from the Giants to the Chiefs. Love that trade for him. Then we got Naheem Hines to the Bills. Love this trade. Absolutely love this trade. And I think that if Devin Singletary hadn't started kicking up in play recently, I don't. I think the Bills would have moved for someone like Kareem Hunt. I think that would have been someone they would move for. But I think if you look at a guy like Kareem Hunt, you're looking at a guy that is potentially going to be the number one back. The Bills right now, the platoon system's working well. They traded Zach Moss in a sixth rounder, I believe, fifth rounder, sixth rounder, for the Colts for Naheem Hines. And I, I love this pick just because of the fact it fits what the Bills do. They tried to get J.D. McKissick this offseason, smaller back that could pass, catch, out of the, catch out of the backfield, went back to Washington. Now they got Naheem Hines for relatively nothing. Zach Moss wasn't playing. Zach Moss hadn't played in like two weeks. He's dressed, but he hasn't played. And... He gets us a lot of options. And I like this a lot for another... I, I keep saying that. I Do you, you know I like this trade? But it allows you to push James Cook out wide, which is what he did a lot at Georgia. 
James Cook's a big dude. I think he's about he's around 5'11 to 6 foot tall, probably 210. So he's a bigger dude for a running back. And at Georgia, he would split out wide quite a bit. So I could see there being a reality where you have James Cook out wide and Naheem Hines in the backfield on third down. I think that's a realistic option. I think Naheem Hines also gives you stability in regards to return game. Nothing that Khalil, Khalil, um, Khalil Shakir has done anything wrong there. Naheem Hines has done it for many, many years in the NFL. So I just think overall it fits what the Bills are doing. He's going to be your pass-catching guy. I know James Cook's that. A lot of Bills fans are wondering what's going to happen to James Cook. James Cook's fine. James Cook's healthy. He's, his spot in the team's not under question. He's played really well recently. He's seen more, a little, little more confident in the team. He is definitely... Well, this trade in general just gives the Bills a lot more speed at running back. This is something that they did not have when Josh Allen first got in the league, the amount of speed they have now with Naheem Hines and James Cook. Devin Singletary is not really a burner, but Cook and Hines are. Uh, just need another. Just thinking about that trade just made me think of like other good things in life, and that just reminded me of Easy Eddie. Oh, man. Uh, speaking of running backs, we're on that topic. Uh, Jeff Wilson got traded from the Niners to the Dolphins. So Mike McDaniel... Is just trying to get all of his running backs from San Fran. He's got Raheem Mostert there. They trade Chase Edmonds to the Bron- for the Broncos to the Broncos because they obviously had those running back injuries with uh, Javante Williams getting out injured. But that went in the the Bradley Chubb deal. Chase Edmonds a fine running back, but now you got James, you got Jeff Wilson, and you got Raheem Mostert down there. And then you've got James Robinson going to the Jaguars, the Jets. Makes sense. Brees Hall's out for the year. Travis Etienne's balling out. James, Travis Etienne had a great game Sunday morning against the Broncos. Great game. Absolute baller. Love that he's balling out now. Uh, he, he had a major injury last year. He had the Liz Frank injury in the preseason game against the Saints. I remember that game so vividly because I dra- we had a draft that night, and I drafted him, and then like 15 minutes later, I get the update about what well, happened on the TV about him getting out injured. It was awesome. Absolutely beautiful. But he's a baller. He was a baller in college. He's a baller now. I'm glad he's finally getting an opportunity. I really like what the Jets with the Seahawks, and what the Jaguars did with these young running backs. So the Seahawks obviously have Kenneth Murray. You have Brees Hall in New York with the Jets. And then you've got Travis Etienne down south with the Jaguars. All of those teams had somewhat, I'm not going to say fully established, but somewhat established starters. So you had Rashad Penny in Seattle, been there a while. And Michael Carter with the Jets. And James Robinson with the Jaguars. I think what they did well with all these situations, granted, like, Kenneth Walker was hurt. Kenneth Walker, did I say Kenneth Murray? He started his first NBA game, fourth overall draft pick at Iowa for the Sacramento Kings. Really sick. But uh, Kenneth Walker came in with a, a – he had a hernia at the start of the year, so he didn't play right away. And then Travis Etienne obviously had the least Frank injury. But these teams didn't rush these guys in. And you don't really see that with a lot of posi- – outside of quarterback, you don't really see that where they let a guy develop for a little bit behind an established starter, and then once he takes over, oh, that guy's really good. Like, Brees Hall was eased into the Jets' starting role before he got hurt, was starting to kick up a head of steam, was going to be a legit threat in the NFL's running back. Kenneth Walker started off hurt. uh, Rashad Penny gets hurt, and Kenneth Walker starts balling out. Kenneth Walker's probably the rookie of the year right now. And Travis Etienne, you see it in there in a little bit in the NFL, and then James Robinson gets hurt, and then Travis Etienne takes over, and then they train with the Jets. I love those moves. I, re- I think those are really smart game plans there. Uh, William Jackson got traded from the Raiders to the Commanders to the Steelers. We already talked about Zach Moss to the Colts. Jacob Martin went to the Jets, from the Jets to the Broncos. Rashad Fenton went to the Chiefs to the Falcons. Jonathan Hankins went from the Raiders to the Cowboys. Robbie Anderson, we already knew about this one. He played last week. Went from the Panthers to the Cardinals. Deion Jones went to the Falcons to the Browns. And Dean Marlowe went back to the Bills with question marks of the Bills secondary with the... Uh, 
Jordan Poyer's elbow health, and then Micah Hyde obviously being hurt the entire season. They got him back in Buffalo. He's played in the scheme before. He was a part of the Bills for a few years, went to down to Atlanta. He got traded up to the Bills for a seventh-round draft pick. And then the biggest thing the Bills did today, the biggest thing the Bills did today, was activate Tredavious White, who is... I'm not going to say the best, but I, I he is a top five corner in the NFL when healthy. I think that's undisputable. I don't even think there's a real argument for you to be made that he's not. And if you make that argument, you're just trying to make an argument for the sake of making an argument. I think Trey White's awesome. Trey White's one of the most elite corners in, this, in the NFL. And the thing is, the Bills secondary, with all the injuries they've had, has still been really good. Like, Dane Jackson has played awesome this year. They drafted Kyrie Elam and Christian Benford, who have been rotating. Both have been playing well. But Danny Jackson's been playing great. So now you you bring in the best corner on the roster, one of the best corners in the NFL, back into this team. You're a cornerback that's insane. You got two. You got a first-round draft in Kyrie Elam that sits behind Dane Jackson or, or Trady, and then Christian Benford, who's been starting as a sixth-round draft pick from Villanova. Like, the depth at that position is insane. The depth at safety was a little bit worrisome with Poyer's injury health, Micah Hyde being out for the year. Hamlin and Johnson played well or played all right in the situations, but they needed to make a trade at safety, and I'm really glad they made a trade for Marlowe because, again, he's been around the team. He's been in the system, so it's not really a big learning curve here. And from what I saw today, I obviously see these more because I'm a Bills fan, so I see these on social media more. It's if these If everything goes to plan, I think this is the same for all these players unless they're injured. For all these players, since it's Tuesday, they have enough time to get going and get playing and all that stuff. Like they they could all play on Sunday, realistically. Now there's obviously going to be different circumstances for everybody, but like the Heem Hines should be playing on Sunday against the Jets. Dean Marlowe could be playing. Trey White should be playing. He's activated, but I could I could realistically see the Bills resting him one more week because the Jets turf it's in it's in New Jersey. It's at East it's at East uh, East Rutherford. At Giant Stadium. No, it met Life Stadium. That was the old stadium. Giant Stadium was the last stadium. But you've seen all these. And remember the 49ers last year? Or two, however many years ago it was when they lost like four starters with ACL injuries or just knee injuries? Trey White coming off of an ACL injury. I could see a reality where they rest him for this week. Like be a healthy scratch. Because he had to be activated today. There was a deadline. He had to be activated today. So I think that was a... He needed to do it. And you activate him, but rest him for this game, get away from that awful-ass turf, and then play against the Vikings and guard Justin Jefferson. Like, that would be fun. Now, I would also be I would also be fine, though their turf is really bad. I would be fine with the idea of Trey White getting some reps in the game, so his first game back from injury after not playing since Thanksgiving of last year is not against Justin Jefferson. Yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> I like that idea as well. So he's got somewhat of a cushion underneath him. So he's he's not thrust into the starting job right, right, right away against uh, one of the best receivers in the entire NFL. Yeah, the trade deadline was awesome. Trade de- Today, I believe I saw there were 10 moves made today. NFL record. NFL record, which the NFL trade deadline is never really something that's insane. Like transfer deadline day in, day in soccer, that's always fun. Transfer deadline day is always a fun day. But man, <laughs> I'm I'm really happy what the Bills did today. My dad was like, "Yeah, if they do anything today, which they were, you see all the reports of them being linked to running backs like Kamara, like McCaffrey, like Kareem Hunt, 
like Antonio Gibson in Washington. Like they were linked with almost every somewhat available running back in the entire NFL. But the Bills went trade for Chris McCaffrey. They eventually pulled out of that one because of what they were asking for. Like Alvin Kamara, that it's going to be the same exact situation. That wasn't happening. And again, if you were going to get Kareem Hunt, who was the most likely target for the Bills out of the running back group in regards to if you're wanting a number one guy like Kareem Hunt or uh, like uh, Alvin Kamara or Chris McCaffrey, he's not at that level. He's going to be a lot cheaper, though. But for what the Bills are trying to do, and especially with how Singletary and Cook have been playing recently, I think the addition of Naheem Hines in regards to special teams, in regards to pass catching ability out of the backfield, he played well last week. He played well last week for the Indianapolis Colts when they lost the, uh, who'd they lose? Titans? Who'd they lose? The Commanders. They lost to the Commanders. I saw this today, that Taylor Heineke's the second ever quarterback with under the Dan Snyder era that has a f- above 500 win percentage. Isn't that sad? I don't even know who the other one is. I haven't even seen who the other one I would imagine it's like Kirk Cousins or something. They had anybody else? Like Br- Mark Brunel played there for a little bit. Gus Farratt was there. Jason Campbell was there. Is anybody else? Because Dan Snyder got the team in, I believe, 1999. So who would have been the quarterbacks during that time period? Did Gus Farratt carry over into the 2000s? Norv Turner was the head coach. They drafted Gus Farratt. They got Heath Schuler in the first round. Now, that was the 94 NFL draft, 93? 94-93, Trent Dilfer went to the Colts after that. Or no, went to the, the Colts, passed on him for Trev Alberts. <laughs> he went to the Buccaneers, famously got passed on by the Indianapolis Colts. I recommend finding videos of that draft to see Mel Kuyper freak out. It is fantastic. Fantastic freak out. Now, while I'm on the topic of the NFL draft, I would like to say that given the weekend, I... This is, you know, I'm not I'm not going to beat around the bush. I've been lazy. I've been lazy in regards to writing this. I've been lazy in regards to watching everything back. I've been lazy in all of that category. So we're going to have prospect rankings come Friday, okay? We just had back-to-back days of blog posts on freaking Wednesday and Friday. So allow me, please. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say I was swamped all week. With work, like actual work, sure, but when I had downtime, was I sitting around typing everything like I normally do? No. No, I was not. I barely wanted to do a podcast today because <laughs> I got to play soccer. I was like, I'm exhausted. But Jared wanted to hear me talk about what TJ Hawkins and what I thought about that, which, again, a great trade for the Venezuela Vikings. Great trade. Oh, speaking of great. Oh, easy Eddie. Once again, you hit it right where it counts. Hit it right where it counts. <laughs> Well, we're not going to have prospect rankings, but I, I will do this first. I, I saw a screenshot of this. It was C- NFL and CBS. It is the four quarterbacks, first four, uh, minus Trey Lance. Four of the first five quarterbacks taken in the 2020 NFL draft, 2021 NFL draft. So we got Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. Trey Lance obviously snapped his ankle week two against the crap. Who was that against? I do not remember. I don't, what, 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 who did they play? Who did the Niners play? Because they ended up winning the game, but who the hell did they play? I don't want to look it up. I don't want to, I know we're going to look it up because now it's bothering me. Crap. Who the hell did they play week two? Seahawks. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I didn't have that in there. There was not, Seahawks weren't even an option in my brain, so I'm not even upset about not knowing that one. But snapped his ankle. Second week of the season. He's only played three, started three NFL games to this point in his career. So he's not, obviously, he's obviously not going to be on here. But if I had to rank him right now, 
None of them are really playing particularly well because none of them are on very good teams. I mean, Mac Jones has had the best season last year, but out of those three, Mac, out of those four, Zach, Mac Jones is the only one in threat of losing his job. Now, that also has to do with the fact his head coach, Bill Belichick. So the, the margin for error there is rather small. But out of those four, I'd rank it Lawrence, Fields, Jones-Wilson because of what Jones did last year. I'll, put, I'll take that into effect. But this year has been really bad for Mac Jones. This year has been really bad for Mac Jones. But Zach Wilson, I saw this on Twitter, and I thought it was kind of funny. Zach Wilson is like Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes played drunk. That's what uh, someone described him as. I think Zach Wilson has the talent to be really, really good in the NFL, but he shoots himself in the foot like every other throw. And he's so frustrating to watch. I think his arm talent's insane. I think he's athletic enough to make plays outside the pocket. But for whatever reason, it's like, what the hell are you looking at? I saw someone else say this is what people thought Josh Allen would be. Now, there are obviously going to be room for improvement next year because I don't really see Robert Sala and Joe Douglas because they're tied to him. They're tied to him. Joe Douglas and Robert Sala were the team that drafted him. So, so remember, that's important. With the GM and head coach, they are tied to the rookie quarterback. This is second year starting. Obviously, he didn't start the year's bad some injuries. I think we get a fair... I've always said this. After year three, we know what you are. After year three, we know exactly what you are in the NFL. We know exactly what you are. So if it doesn't work, I'd give Zach Wilson at least one more year. Because there's signs that he's got talent in there. But overall, he just plays very frustrating. And am I sitting here and going like he shouldn't have been the number two pick in the draft? No, I understand why he was the number two pick in the draft. I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, the Jets should have buyer's remorse. Because really... Like, Mac Jones and Justin Fields haven't... I mean, they've had moments, but they haven't really done anything go, yeah, back then, I, and a lot of people are going to sit here and say Justin Fields anyways, but I don't really think there's a big crime that Zach Wilson went second overall that year. I don't really think there's that big of a problem. Like, Zach Wilson, again, has moments, but he just shoots himself in the... Like, he had three interceptions a game on Sunday against the Patriots. A boring-ass game. <laughs> 17-22 was the final... Mac Jones had a touchdown interception. Like, neither one of those two are playing well. Mac Jones had three touchdowns, seven picks on the season. And then he obviously got benched against the, uh, crap, who he gets benched against, <laughs> the Bears, for Bailey Zappi. And Patriots fans lost their ever-loving mind after that. He hasn't played well this year. I think Mac Jones is fine. I don't think Mac Jones is anything particularly special at this point. But I think he's fine. He did play well last year. I don't want to take anything away from him. He did play well last year. And then Trevor Lawrence... I think just watching it, you can see it. I'm just not anything like, again, it's not anything particularly, wow, wow. But he plays well. Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback. They're they're smart, as opposed to the Bears, who have just started to do this, are putting pieces around your quarterback, regardless of how good they may actually be. Like Christian Kirk getting one of the biggest contracts in NFL history for wide receiver, resetting the entire wide receiver market. Like, that was a good, like, he's worked out. Christian Kirk's played well. Bringing in Zay Jones for an exorbitant amount of money as well. I think he got $30 million, which is ridiculous for Zay Jones. And you bring in Calvin Ridley. You bring in Evan Ingram, who doesn't have a lot of hands, but, hey, he can be solid. Travis Etienne played together at college. You get Brandon Scherf in from Washington. Like, you bring in pieces to help your quarterback succeed. And Trevor Lawrence is doing that. Trevor Lawrence is playing fine. Trevor Lawrence is consistent, is fairly consistent this year. He wasn't really that last year. Saw a lot of interceptions for Trevor Lawrence last year. 
obviously had the worst team in the NFL. They obviously had the number one overall pick, took Trayvon Walker. But Trevor Lawrence is way more consistent than the other guys. There's not there's been a lot less of up and down with Trevor Lawrence. There's been more up this year than down. Last year that was the case. This year it's a little bit more up. And in regards for Justin Fields, same exact thing. There are moments where Justin Fields looks really, really good and be a legit quarterback in the NFL. He has the arm talent. Justin Fields has the arm. He's got the size. He's got the mobility. He's got the temperament. But, again, it's just up and down. But out of all these teams, the Bears easily have the worst offensive line out of all of them. The Bears easily have the least amount of weapons around him. So it's kind of those situations where he's set up in the worst situation out of the quarterbacks. So there's going to be some more, I would hope, some more leniency. But, again, this is like we talked about with Zach Wilson. The GM and the head coach, they're currently there. I can't remember the GM's name. His name's Ryan something. And then Matt Eberflus, the head coach. They didn't draft him. So there's really no dire need to hold on to him if they don't see like anything's going anywhere. But I think Justin Fields has the talent to be a top-level guy. He needs to trust the Bears, though. He needs to trust his team. I don't think he does that right now. Like, you see a pocket that's set up for most quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, the Bears O-line, they don't do it a lot. But when they do have a pocket, he tries to break it like that. It's instant where he tries to break it. But the game against the Patriots, that showed a lot of people how good this guy can be. That was his best game in the NFL. He had a fairly decent game against the Cowboys. Didn't play, like, amazing or anything, but he had a fairly decent game against the Cowboys. Started off better than what they finished, but he had a fairly decent game. He had 60 yards rushing and 151 yards passing, two touchdowns, no turnovers. Like, he, he played well. And again, there's been some ups and downs, but I think there's been less ups and downs with him this season than there have been with Jones and Zach Wilson. I think Zach Wilson's more talented than Mac Jones, but it doesn't really matter at this point. It doesn't really matter. We're talking about how good they are right now. I think Mac, I think Zach Wilson could potentially become better than Mac Jones, but right now, that's how I'd rank it. Goes Lawrence, Fields, Jones, Wilson. I have really no issue with any of them, apart from the fact that two of them play for division rivals. But other than that, I really don't have... Oh, I hate this guy. Absolutely hate him. Like, really... I know I make fun of him a lot. I know I say a lot of negative things about him, and I apologize for this. But I don't really hate Tua. I don't really hate a lot of players in the NFL right now. If I had to say my least favorite quarterback in the NFL, looking at the the laundry list of quarterbacks in the NFL, I'd probably say Tua, though. <laughs> but just because the the Dolphins... Constant, constant, constant. What is it? Propaganda around Tua. It just bothers me so much. But if I had, like, really a least favorite quarterback in the NFL, um, I don't know. Do I put Brady still up there? <laughs> like, I don't hate Mahomes. I don't hate Patrick Mahomes. I think he's awesome. I just a damn shame he plays for the Chiefs. And he's going to play there as long as Josh Allen plays for the Bills. So it's going to. Pain in the ass. Absolute pain in the ass. You know what's not a pain in the ass, though? Easy Eddie. Very smooth drinking beverage right here. We're almost out of it, though. We're almost out. I'm not getting up to get another one. <laughs> it's 917. I should be in freaking bed right now. But nope. We are sitting right here doing an awesome, awesome, awesome ass podcast. Oh, yeah. This was the other two of 12, 10 and 2 in his last 12 starts. Wow. That's awesome. I'm sure he had a mad. I, he is the catalyst for this team. Absolute catalyst. Now, oh, this, I saw this as well. This is from Pro Football Focus. Most likely Super Bowl matchups via PFF power rankings 
Bills Eagles is 12%, Chiefs Eagles is 8%, and the Bills Cowboys is 5%. So that is what your Super Bowl chances are looking like according to... Oh yeah, this is the RG3 tweet I was looking for. Dolphins just launched, in all caps, their Super Bowl chances, in all caps again, to the moon! They did not. Trade for Bradley Chubb. Their secondary is still not very good. They got Xavier Howard. That's about it. Okay. But while we're on the topic of quarterbacks, we're not doing the prospect rankings today, but I got a couple things I want to talk about here because I've seen I've I've done the rounds on social media today. I haven't I don't I haven't tweeted anything, but I I try to look up what people's general opinions are of people, of quarterbacks. Because I could call them stupid, or I can call them, I could say, oh, I agree with you. Or I could say, ah, oh, you're stupid. Or I could say, ah, oh, this or oh, that. But the game I want to talk about, because we didn't really talk about the college football games after uh, we talked about the Halloween stuff, the stuff we did on the weekends. That Tennessee-Kentucky game was, like a better term, a shit show, I think is the best way I can describe that. I'm trying to think of other words to use to describe that game. But I saw I saw this at, during the Bills-Packers game on social media, and it ended up being a lot closer to what people were expecting because the Bills routed them in the first half, sucked in the second half. But it was a tweet that said this game could have been decided by email. I think that's what could have happened with Kentucky and Tennessee. Kentucky scored in their first drive of the game. They were tied, or not tied. It was 7-6 to because Kentucky missed the extra point. But it's just it just wasn't fun. Like, this was a game I was hyping up like crazy because you got Hennon Hooker, probably the Heisman winner this year, versus Will Levis, one of the favorites to get drafted first overall. And for the cat, I don't like using this word, but the casual fan out there watching this game, a lot, a lot, a lot of people jumped clear off the Will Levis bandwagon. Or just clear off, not even the bandwagon, just clear off any attention towards Will Levis whatsoever. Like, there is not anybody out there on social media that at least they're tweeting the casual, quote, again, I hate saying that, quote unquote, casual fan. They hate Will Levis. The thing that doesn't help him at all is that Tennessee does not have a very good secondary. Their, sec- their defense is not very good. For how good of an offense they have and how fast they run things on offense, how awesome Hendon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt have been this year, their defense is not that. Their defense is not. So Will Levis getting held to less than 100-yard passing with no touchdowns and three interceptions is not really something that people that were looking at, I want to see what the hype around Will Levis is. And that's the game they watch. Because that's a big-ass game. That's a big, big-time game for both teams. Now... Those interceptions were not great. The first one, I'm not going to put 100% on him because he put it right on the receiver. The defender just came in and lit him up. And then it landed right in the arms of the Tennessee defender. The second and third one, though, those ones were bad. Those ones were bad. The first one, he basically threw it in the triple coverage. Waited too long to throw it. It was a hitch route. Threw it. Defender jumped it, as we see a lot when you take too long to run hitch routes because there's nowhere else the receiver could go. And when Kentucky's off the line, he's not going to break the pocket and have time to throw it downfield. He gets killed like every other play. And then the third one was a bad throw. He short-armed it down the sideline. He had Dane Key down the sideline, the far sideline, short-armed it, and the defender made a really nice play on the ball. Really nice run route from Dane Key, just not a very good throw from Will Levis. And it got challenged. They said it might have hit the ground. Will Levis was outside. We got back on the field. The offense got back on the field. But no, it stood. And Tennessee ended up routing them 44-6. to And it wasn't even like after that they routed them. No, they were up 27-6 to at halftime. Like, it was over at half. 
Like, that's what people were expecting the Bills-Packers game to be at halftime. You had 27-6, you had 24-7 in the Bills game, and the Volunteers just routed them. Tennessee, or Kentucky could not do anything. Now, again, I think I said this before the game started. On Friday, at least I think I did. I might have said it on Wednesday. I don't remember when I said it, but I said it at some point. These are two completely different style of offenses. Two completely. We got the fast, one of the fastest. I'm not saying the, because I don't know if they're number one still. They were, but they were top five, I believe. Maybe top three. Fastest run offense in college football. When the ball is set, they snap the ball, run, play goes, all that stuff. One of the fastest. So when they play teams, even with the best defenses they play, they can't stop that. You're not mentally prepared for that. You're never going to be able to scout that. You can scout Kentucky's offense fairly simply because I think Tennessee's scout team off the line is as good as Kentucky's starting off the line. If not as good, they're close because they're not very good. And Kentucky, on the opposite side of where Tennessee is one of the fastest paced teams in college football, Kentucky's one of the slowest paced teams in college football. They run a pro style offense with a battle line, they have a good running back in Chris Rodriguez. But that's about it. They got some decent wide receivers. Like, Dane Key is a fine option out wide. Tavion Robinson is a very solid option out wide from Virginia Tech. Transfer from Virginia Tech. But that's about all they've got. And I don't want to take anything away from Hendon Hooker in the season he's having. Because, again, he's probably going to win the Heisman Trophy. But as we've seen throughout NFL history, just because you win the Heisman Trophy does not automatically mean you're going to be a very good quarterback in the NFL. It doesn't always translate. You would think it does because you're like, oh, that's the best quarterback in college football. You're bound to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. You would think that natural aggression is best here, best here, or at least one of the best in both. It's what you think. But you go back through NFL history. Like, let's let's just go back. Let's look at the Heisman Trophy winners. So Heisman Trophy winners. And I'm not saying this to slight Hennon Hooker at all. I think he'll be a very good quarterback in the NFL. I've got something else I want to say about this here in a little bit. Um... Heisman winners, there we go. So, recently, we're not going to go back all the way to, the, like, the early stage of the Heisman Trophy. And we're going to go back to, what year do we want to start? Well, let's start with my, so we got, okay, let's just start at the beginning. So, Bryce Young went last year. I think Bryce Young will be a, a solid quarterback in the NFL. Joe Burrow's already been to a Super Bowl. Kyler Murray's uh, one of the highest-paid quarterbacks in NFL history. And then we start with Baker Mayfield. And that's where we kind of get a little bit topsy-turvy. Baker Mayfield's now the backup to P.J. Walker in Carolina. Lamar Jackson being an MS MVP. One of the MVP candidates this year. Mariota, backup for most of his career. Bench for Ryan Tannehill. Went to Oakland, then Vegas, just with the same team. Benched, backup. Now he's with Atlanta, playing decently, but nothing special. Jameis Winston's, I don't know, he is just insanely frustrating because he's got the talent. It's just not working out, really. And I, he's pretty, I don't know if he's healthy, but he suits up on the sideline and it's not playing for the Saints. So I don't know if he's healthy or... He's just suiting up as a quote-unquote emergency backup, but he's suited up and not playing. And they got Johnny Manziel. Obviously know about that. RG3, injuries. Cam Newton. Okay, Cam Newton was fine. Cam Newton was good. Sam Bradford. One of the more over... I don't understand why Sam Bradford got as much money as he did throughout his NFL career. Confused the hell out of me. Why the hell the Vikings traded first-round draft pick to the Eagles for, Car- for Sam Bradford? Confused the hell out of me. He's just an all-right quarterback. Tim Tebow. Didn't had one good season, got a random ass win against the Steelers. Had one of the luckiest plays in NFL history, throwing to Demarius Thomas, Troy Smith, one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. Didn't do anything. Got drafted late as well. Matt Leinart got benched for an eighty-year-old Kurt Warner. Jason White never had an NFL career. Carson Palmer, okay, Carson Palmer played all right. Eric Crouch got drafted as a safety. 
Chris Winkie was damn near 30 when he got drafted. Was like a sixth-round draft pick by the Panthers. Then we've got Danny Warfel. Nothing in college. I, nothing in the NFL. I know a lot of Iowa State fans will have a lot of disdain in their voice when I say Danny Warfel. Uh, Charlie Ward went to the NBA. Played for the Knicks. That was more of a... I had another situation, rather, why, why he wasn't in the NFL. Gino Toretta from Miami. Nothing. Then we have Ty Detmer. Nothing. Andre Ware from Houston. Nothing. Played for the Lions. Did absolutely nothing in Detroit. Then we have got Vinny Testaverde. Long career. Frustrating beginning. Kind of played solidly in the middle for the Browns, Ravens, and Jets. And then saw the rest of his career as a back. Played until he was like 50. Doug Flutie. Late bloomer. Played in the Canadian Football League. That was a, like we said, with Charlie, different circumstances with him and Charlie Ward. But in regards to, he was seen as too short to play in the NFL. Went to Canada, balled out in Canada, played for Calgary and Toronto, I think. And then came to the NFL, was obviously a cult hero in Buffalo. Then we keep going. Okay, we got the point. We're in the 70s now. It doesn't really matter at this point. But just because you're a great college quarterback does not mean you're going to be a great NFL quarterback. Just because you win the Heisman does not automatically mean you're going to win the you're going to be an NFL quarterback or be a top quarterback draft pick. There are chances that it happens. You would think very good chances, but sometimes it doesn't. I think Hendon Hooker will be a first-round draft pick. I really have no doubt in my mind. I think the Colts seem like a very likely spot for him to go. But I don't see him at this point anyways going in the top 10. And it's going to confuse a lot of people because he's winning the Heisman Trophy. But Lamar Jackson was better in college than Hendon Hooker is and had a longer string of success than Hendon Hooker. Senator Hooker was good last year. He was good last year. We had him in the quarterback rankings the entire season. He was good last year. But he exploded this year. Lamar exploded and then was a Heisman finalist the season after, too. And Lamar's more electric than Hendon Hooker is. And Hendon Hooker's a great athlete. Great, great athlete. Great runner. But Lamar Jackson is, was better than Hendon Hooker in college and got drafted 32nd overall. And maybe that's what people are going to look at and go, well, look at Lamar Jackson. Won the Heisman got drafted 32nd overall. Why would you draft that guy so late? I go, fair. Fair, fair, fair. But then you look at the guy who got drafted before him at seventh, the name Josh Allen. Is there really, you could see things that happen in college with Josh Allen where you could go, okay, this guy has the potential to be special. I say the same thing about Anthony Richardson at Florida. I say the same thing about Will Levis. The stats won't be there. He will have stinker performances like this. He will have games, not not often, he, this is the last, the least amount of yards he's had since his like fourth ever start for Kentucky against Florida last year, where they upset Florida. When Florida was tenth overall, like these games are naturally going to happen. He's not playing for a team that's built to his strengths. Really, they're playing a pro style offense, doing five step drops with an old line that can't block, with no real options at wide receiver, with a solid running back. That's not a recipe for success. Tennessee is building to Hendon Hooker's strengths. Bama is building to Bryce Young's strengths. Ohio State is building to C.J. Stroud's strengths. Kentucky's not really doing that. Kentucky's talented. They're very talented. They got pieces. Like, defensively, they got some solid pieces. Obviously, we already talked about Chris Rodriguez. But you can't run five-step drop. I don't care how athletic your quarterback is. And Will Levis is very athletic. You could see him hurtling over players and everything like that last year. He hasn't had any opportunity to do that this year because he's getting hit after two seconds after dropping back. And he's getting set as he's dropping back. 
And sure, he short-armed a pass on the, the throw to Dan Key down the far sideline. Sure, he threw a ball too late on the hitch route and ended up getting jumped and intercepted. Sure, that happened. But if you're looking at what he could be, I think the ceiling, again, this could be very wrong. This could be wrong. And I'm open to be wrong because I have no, I love Hendon Hooker. I've, lo- I've talked about him a shit ton last year. You can go listen to last year's shows and look at, you can look at old blog posts we talked about Hendon Hooker. So I have no issue with Hendon. This is not a bash against Hendon Hooker. I think Hendon Hooker should win the Heisman this year. Because I've seen him more consistently, like, like CJ Stroud, statistically, will probably be up there as well, or will be up there. He'll probably finish second. But I've seen a lot less shaky performances. There's been a lot less moments where I've gone, oh, he didn't play very good there. That was a weird throw from Hendon Hooker as I do for CJ Stroud. Like against Iowa, I don't think CJ Stroud played particularly well against Iowa. It was just a beatdown of a team, of a defense that had no rest because the offense could go with three and out. It was one of those situations. So Hendon Hooker's had a lot less of that, and I think that's why Hendon Hooker will win the Heisman, even though. He has a lot less touchdowns than C.J. Stroud does, passing the ball anyways. Hendon Hooker right now has 21. C.J. Stroud, I say a lot, he has 29 touchdowns. So eight more touchdowns than him. I, in, in the grand scheme of things, that's a lot. Like even, like eight, that's a few games. It's two or three games for some quarterbacks. Like C.J. Stroud had a down game against Penn State, really. He had one touchdown. They started off slow in that game, too. Penn State was up in that game. And like Ohio State has done all season, they came back in the game late and blew them out of the water. They won by 14. Damn shame they couldn't win score one more point. Couldn't cover, but whatever. You know who does cover? Easy Eddie. Easy Eddie covers all my taste buds with... I'm not going to go down that route. It's very good. <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening to the show, I'm pretty sure you could see the route I was thinking there, but I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. We're going to Easy Eddie right here. Ah, Thirst quenched, and it is gone. Completely empty. I got water here, too. The water's feeling pretty neglected here, but... Yeah, that's just how I'm seeing the Will Levis quarterback thing in regards to the draft. I'm starting... <clears throat> I think Anthony Richardson, while we're on the top, we brought him up a little bit earlier in regards to talent. I think Anthony Richardson, I definitely could see him going out this year. But I would kind of like to see him come back with Bill Napier for a second year. I think. Like, I wouldn't be surprised or upset at all if he went to the NFL this year. Because I think given the right environment, given the right coaching system, like the Bills, when they drafted Josh Allen, you had Sean McDermott, who had a clear plan in place. You had Brandon Bean, who put pieces around Josh Allen, not necessarily the first year, but they had to do a lot of shedding after that first year. Because that first year, that team stunk. They somehow won six games off the back of Josh Allen and a good defense. But that offense stunk. If you look at the piece they had on offense, we talked about that offense numerous times. Josh Allen carried that offense the entire season. He didn't have the greatest numbers, but he carried that offense. With Andy Richardson, I think you could, if he goes to a team that has a clear plan in place that will put pieces around him that Josh didn't have this, but if he has a quarterback there that is established, that will get him to ring things in, reel things in like Mahomes did with Alex Smith. I think that would be very beneficial for him. But I also think going back another year, being the clear number one quarterback, ah, I say clear, Caleb Williams is up there. So I, he'll be one of the quarterbacks for next year. He'll be top two with Caleb Williams. But, man, it's I'm, – I'm really – I don't know what to think about Anthony Richardson because I think, like, with these quarterback ranks with Anthony Richardson, and I feel so bad for doing this to Hendon Hooker because I think he's awesome, but – the offense, the two-second offense thing's not going to – I'm not saying this is bad. I'm saying this is what a scout is going to say. 
It's what a lot of people in the NFL are probably going to say, which is why he's going to probably go a little bit later than what you were expecting. I think there's a better chance, honestly, at this point, as I sit here on November 1st, that Hendon Hooker goes in the 20s rather than the top 10s. That could be harsh. That could be harsh. Probably is harsh. I think he probably, like the Colts pick 15th. I think that'd be a solid place for him to go. But the offense they run at Tennessee is not something that's going to be happening in the NFL. He's going to be older. He's going to be 25. Will Levis is going to be older too. But Levis has a stronger arm. This is a similar situation to what we talked about last year with with Carson Strong and Malik Willis. Said Malik Willis has the strongest arm in the draft, but Carson Strong throws the best deep ball. Will Levis, minus Anthony Richardson, has the strongest arm in this out of the four quarterbacks that are. Because again, I'm gonna, I'm going to hold out on Anthony Richardson for a little bit because I don't. I'm starting to get conflicted on whether I think he'll go out or not. But if Anthony Richardson involved, then Anthony Richardson does. But Will Levis compared to Young, Stroud, and Hooker has the strongest arm. I think Hunnett Hooker throws a lot better deep ball, though. Or not a lot better, but he throws a better deep ball than Will Levis. I think it's more consistent. There's been very rare times he's underthrown receivers. Like It's just really good. I think that has a lot to do with the timing of their offense because it's so fast-paced. You snap the ball, you make your read, throw it. There's not a lot of, let's drop back five steps, let's read the defense, We'll throw. Like Levis with Kentucky, five-step drop, look around, and the NFL teams are going to like that. NFL teams are also going to like that the fact that Levis works with less talent than the other teams do. And not a lot of people really before the season started were saying Tennessee's got a wealth of talent, but Cedric Tillman's been a well-documented player for Tennessee. Uh, Jalen Hyatt's blown up this year. He had five touchdowns, obviously, against Alabama. But yeah, I'm not I'm not on the Will Levis, uh, what do you call it? I'm not jumping off Will Levis uh, in regards to draft stock at this point. I don't think he played well at all. I think he played really shittily on Saturday. I think he played really bad. But in regards to draft stock, it's not about stats. It's not about number. It's not about that. It's what you think he can be. And I think Josh Allen has a big reason why Will Levis is viewed the way he does. Because I think this, you look at things go, oh, that reminds me of this. And then instantly you're stuck like that. Will Levis has hurdled people. Josh Allen has obviously hurdled people. So that's going to be something they look at. Will Levis is bigger than, not taller, but he's bigger than Hooker. He's bigger than Young. He's bigger than Stroud. He's got an insane, he's stronger arm than all of them. Is he, he's uh, athletically very close. Him and Hooker are very close. I think Bryce Young's probably the best, but Bryce Young doesn't run. And Bryce Young's a lot smaller. So Bryce Young will be running a lot less than the NFL, What I would imagine anyways than the likes of Levis and Hooker. I don't know. That's my two cents on the matter. It's a little more than two cents, probably about 15 cents. But, yeah, I'm. maybe I'm wrong for doing this. Maybe I'm wrong for holding out on this. Maybe I'll bash him once the draft starts. But maybe he just couldn't live up to the hype that I had him going first overall in the surprise draft. Maybe that's what Maybe that's what it was. Because I dropped that on Friday. He played the game on Saturday. Sucked ass. So I don't know. I do not know, but I, I'm i not going to sit here and go, oh my God, Will Levis is trash. Will Levis is this. Will Levis will not even be drafted. Why would you even waste a draft pick on Will Levis? Like some people go down that route. Like remember a few weeks ago we talked about, um, uh, who was the guy that said uh, this quarterback would be lucky to get drafted? Who was that? Who was that? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Oh no, I've got to find this tweet. I don't remember what even post I would said that this guy responded to after. Oh, I gotta lean up now. I've been leaning back the entire show. 
I gotta sit up now because now we're we're investigating. Oh man, what did it say? What did it say? There was some. Uh, he's got a chance not to get drafted, let alone first round. What what did I say? What was that tweet? Uh, where are we all the way back? We're back all the way to September second. Oh, it was it was Levis. It was Levis. I'm not. I haven't even found the tweet yet, but I'm pretty confident it's Levis. Levis will be lucky enough to get drafted, let alone first round or something like that. I think that's what he said. I'm all the way back on August 19th. I don't remember when I said it. I don't remember who said it or what tweet exactly it was under. But man, I I just think that's <laughs> I. You have to realize how many quarterbacks there are in the NFL draft. You have to remember that there were eight, nine quarterbacks drafted last year, and one of the most well, most wildly bashed quarterback drafts in NFL history. And you're telling me Levis is going to be – there's probably going to be around 10 quarterbacks to drafted this year. He's not going to get drafted out of those 10. If he gets decapitated, I think that's the only – even if he gets hurt, I think he's a second-round draft pick. Like, I don't think there's anything that's really going to tank Will Levis's draft stock up until April. That's just my opinion. Again, that could come back to bite me in the ass. I think Hendon Hooker is the best quarterback currently in college football. College football success does not necessarily translate to NFL success. It doesn't always work out like that. Like, you look at some of the best quarterbacks in college football history, how many of them were NFL legends or really good quarterbacks in the NFL? Like Vince Young, he had a good, solid rookie year, which in hindsight, statistically, wasn't great, but he won the rookie of the year. He didn't even win a Heisman. He just won a national championship. Matt Leinart won a Heisman. Matt Leinart won, like, I think three, uh, technically two national championships. Tim Tebow, one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. Individual seasons, that's a little different. Like Burrow and Newton, they've obviously had success in the NFL. But it doesn't always translate. Doesn't always. People are going to put definite or absolutes on that. It doesn't always translate. To be like, oh, man, I have Hendon Hooker as my number one quarterback in the draft. Okay? Why? I have no real issue with him being number, like, top 10 overall. I don't really have an issue with that. Generally, because again, I love Hendon Hooker. I think, again, I will reiterate this because this could take it the wrong way. I think he should win the Heisman Trophy. And I'm happy as hell that Tennessee came into the first college football playoff rankings of rank number one. I'm happy as hell that them and Ohio State are the top two teams in the country. Because I've said that. Georgia got dropped to three. Because Georgia is not better than those two teams. Now, I will say I think Ohio State's a more complete team. I think Ohio State's defense is better than Tennessee's. But Tennessee has played a tougher schedule than Ohio State up to this point. Tennessee has played, I think, five ranked teams at the time they played them. Yeah, five. They played Pitt, Florida, Alabama, Kentucky, and LSU. And all of those games, <laughs> actually, I take that back. I kind of forgot about the Florida and Pitt games. Those games were closer, but they blew the roof off Kentucky. And then this week they played Georgia. That's going to be fun. <laughs> Tennessee and Georgia. They came in at number two. Them and Ohio State were joint number two in the AP poll. But then the college football playoff polls out. No one cares about the AP poll anymore. No one cares. No, no, no one cares. Now, looking at the rest of the list, uh, Clemson at four. I still think Alabama's the fourth best team in college football. I don't care. I understand why they're not at four because they obviously have a loss at Clemson Michigan do not. But I think I think Alabama would be both of them. I don't think Alabama's even playing particularly. Like, they're not at their best. They have a lot of question marks on offense apart from Bryce Young and Jameer Gibbs. They have a lot of question marks around that. 
Defensively, they have question marks around that as well. Pass defense, not anything particularly Alabama-y. Uh, they have Will Anderson and Bryce Young and Jameer Gibbs. That's pretty much it. They got good secondary. Like, they got pieces in the secondary. Like, Mac- Malachi Moore, Brian Branch, Jordan Battle, like they Eli Ricks. They've got pieces. But that Tennessee game, that hurt their... Uh, that hurt their numbers. <laughs> that hurt their numbers a wee bit. But I think they're. I think again. I think oh, Alabama's the second, the fourth best team in college football, and people are going to be pissed off because like, oh. So let's say hypothetically, hypothetically here, Georgia beats Tennessee on Saturday. Tennessee then. Hold on. My ADHD is kicking in. So, Georgia beats Tennessee. Tennessee goes the rest of the season undefeated. Georgia and Tennessee are on the same side of the SEC. So Georgia would represent that side of the SEC in the SEC championship game. Georgia finished out the season undefeated. Bama doesn't really have a lot of competition on the west side. So, I mean, they got LSU, but... Oh, no. No, 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 no. They... Wait. Do LSU... <laughs> I don't know my geography. Regardless, Bama is going to win the, the west. And Georgia's going to win the east. So, let's say, hypothetically, Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game. You're really going to sit there and tell me a 12 and 1 Georgia, a 12 and 1 Alabama, and 11 and 1 Tennessee are not three of the top 4 best teams in college football. People are going to be pissed off about that. But that's the facts. That's facts. That's 100% fact. You cannot sit there and tell me Clemson and Michigan are as good as those teams cuz Michigan will not beat Ohio State. So Ohio State's going to be in there. I don't think I don't think anybody in the Big 10 really challenges Ohio State. It could be wrong, but I I don't think a lot of teams are challenging Ohio State. Clemson in the ACC, you're sitting there. If Clemson finishes undefeated, hypothetically, and Alabama's at five, so let's say towards the end of the year, this is what our top four looks like. So we have, at the end of the, like, SEC championship day, after the SEC championship game, like, pre before the rankings are released for the college football playoff, your top five consists of Georgia, Ohio State, because Tennessee's one now, Tennessee and Clemson. Because Clemson's going to win out. Clemson ain't losing anybody in the big the ACC. No matter how... Uh, no, they won't. They won't. Notre Dame, Louisville, Miami, and South Carolina. They're losing those games. Like, they've played four, three ranked teams. And it's Wake Forest, NC State, and Syracuse. I'm sorry, the college will play up. I know they're ranked. But I think they're going to look at it a lot differently if Tennessee's beaten Alabama, beaten LSU, beat Florida. Beat Kentucky by double did it by damn near 40 points. So you're sitting here with Bama or uh, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, and Tennessee with Bama at five. And, uh, no, again, so Tennessee's at three, Clemson four, Bama five. Because Michigan will probably lose to Ohio State, so they're out. And then like TCU or Oregon at six or whatever, or at five, yeah, at six. If Clemson wins the ACC and is undefeated, Bama wins the SEC. We had this similar issue last year. Remember we made fun of this when people said Michigan was really better than Georgia? Or really better than Bama? And they got ass-blasted by Georgia in whatever bowl game that was? You're going to sit there and tell me if Alabama, the fifth-best team in college football, beats the number one team in college football, Georgia, and Clemson beats... I don't know who the hell is Clemson even going to play. I don't. Clemson beats the powerhouse North North Carolina. 
who has no defense. Drake May is playing fantastic. Josh Downs playing well, but they don't have a defense. You're telling me that Alabama's worse than Clemson, or Alabama doesn't deserve to play in the playoff and they just beat the number one team in the nation. Or are you going to sit there and tell me Tennessee should drop out, even though they're 11-1, and played a bunch of ranked teams, their only loss comes to Georgia. Then we're going to have an issue again, like we did last year. But this year, I think, would blow up more because the chance you have three SEC teams would set make people self-combust. Just think about that for a little bit. Like, that is a realistic possibility. We have Georgia beat Tennessee. Bama beat Georgia. Tennessee go the rest of the season undefeated after losing to Georgia. Those three teams, I don't care how much of an SEC hater you are, which I, in the state of Iowa, I don't understand why people hate the SEC so much. They've never done anything to the state of Iowa, ever. Like, what's the last, like, Florida and LSU and Tennessee have beaten Iowa in bowl games. So I hate the SEC now. Like, people that hate Alabama just because they win. I, they, they, it's so annoying. I have a couple friends like that. So annoying. Never done anything to Iowa, ever. Nick Saban's never beaten Iowa. So it's like, why would you even hate them? Iowa State's never had a chance at hell at playing Alabama. So why, why do they care? You and I, same thing. You're going to tell me, no matter how much you hate the SEC, that those three teams are not three of the best four teams in college football, with Ohio State in there. You're going to try and explain to me why an undefeated Clemson team Yes, undefeated, I'm aware of that, deserves to be in there over Bama, Georgia, or Tennessee. If that scenario plays out. If Clemson goes undefeated. Which Clemson's not very good, so I wouldn't be surprised if they did end up losing to a random-ass team like South Carolina towards the end of the year. I don't know. I think it's something to think about. I don't think Clemson's that good. I don't. I don't think DJU's that good. I don't. Dude got benched. <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, he's going to be the starter the rest of the year. Yeah. Just think about it. Don't be upset if it happens. I'm warning you now. Do not be upset if that happens. But the rest of the college football playoff reads as follows. We got Clemson at four, Michigan five, Alabama six. Because, again, Alabama's not going to realistically lose the rest of the season. I know they play LSU this weekend. It'll be a tough game. They play Ole Miss. They play Austin Peay and Auburn. Tough games, yes. The LSU and Ole Miss games are on the road. LSU games at night. Unless Alabama, If Alabama loses on Saturday or loses to Ole Miss or loses to Auburn, then this is all null and void. Then forget everything that I just said. Forget all of that. If they win out, though, then think about it. I know they have a tough schedule, but Michigan, I don't think they're beating Ohio State. And Clemson, I think they'll go undefeated. But if they lose to North Carolina in the ACC championship game, if that one happens, because there are only two good teams in the ACC, realistically, I know NC State should be good, but like Devin Leary's out for the season. Wake Forest can be good. Syracuse has been solid this year as well. But, yeah, so here's the rest of TCU at 7, 8 no, Oregon at 8, USC 9, and then LSU at 10. LSU's ranked 15th in the AP poll. We got Ole Miss at 11, UCLA 12, Kansas State 13, Utah 14, Penn State 15, Illinois 16, which is weird to see. Then North Carolina 17, Oklahoma State 18. And then we're talking about weird. Tulane at 19, 7 and 1 Tulane. Then Syracuse at 20. And then the weirdness kicks up a notch with Wake Forest, NC State, Oregon State, Texas, and UCF rounding out the top 25. So that's what we're looking at. And we got Liberty in the top 25 for the AP poll. And I think they're, of course, the only team that replaced the team that replaced Liberty was Texas. Yeah, Texas buying Liberty. 
Come on, this is America. Texas had some barn burner performances this year. Definitely deserving of the top 25 that they are so happily taking. After they, you know, they just lost their last game of the season against Oklahoma State. Remember when they lost? They have been put in the top 25 now twice after losses. I've never seen that before in my entire life. Never once seen that before. They lost to Bama, got put in the top 25. Lost to Oklahoma State, got put in the top 25. Like, what are the... Are they, they're, okay, they're receiving 58 votes in the AP poll. And they're receiving 55 in the, the coaches poll, which no one really gives two shits about. But it's just... it's I don't, I don't get it. I do not get it. And for that UNI game, South Dakota State's currently ranked one in the FCS coaches poll. Followed by Montana State, Stack State, and North Dakota State, and the Jackson State at five. We're coming off a dominating win over Southern on Saturday. Hosted college game day. Dominated the game. Shrewer Sanders, there's a quarterback we're going to have to wait for next year, too. 24 touchdowns, five picks this year, 71.6% completion percentage. Dude's an absolute tank. Dude's a baller. Dude's a baller. And I know Deion Sanders is going to be linked to all these big-time jobs like Nebraska, Florida State, probably, and then Auburn, obviously. But I don't see him leaving until Shadur Sanders leaves. And even then, I don't know if he'll leave because it's got a pretty good thing going. It, they've created a very good culture down there for Jackson State. They're starting to get people to go to HBCUs again for top-level athletes. Travis Hunter just going there recently. Which, HBCUs, though they're not the highest, quote-unquote, level of college football, you see some of the greatest players throughout NFL history go to HBCUs. You've got Walter Payton. You've got, crap, what's his name? Michael Strahan. you got Jerry Rice. you got Steve McNair. you got all these different players that have gone to HBCUs and have balled out at the next level. It's always It goes to that saying, that one of the famous saying, if you're good enough, we'll find you. It doesn't matter the competition. If you're good enough, we'll find you. And there's some good matchups this weekend as well. Not as good as Easy Yeti, but we're done with that. <laughs> we're done, we're, we're, is this propaganda at this point? <laughs> I, think this, I think this classifies technically as propaganda. Oh, man. Okay, so we got Thursday Night Football as well. We got Thursday Night Football, Eagles-Texans. Another barn burner of a game on Thursday Night Football. I really don't think the Eagles should have any problems in this game. I really don't expect the Eagles to have much of an issue against the Texans. 7-0 and versus 5-1-1. and Nighttime game. Fun. Fun game. Now, we got the Titans and Chiefs for Sunday Night Football, which could be kind of interesting. I expect the Chiefs to blow them out. If Malik Willis plays... That's a tough place to play for your second ever start. Because the Chiefs and Arrowhead, that's tough. That's tough. I know you can lean on uh, Derrick Henry a lot, which is what they did against the Texans, but playing in te- Houston with a, against a one-in-four-and-one one and and one Texans team is a lot easier to play than the Chiefs and Arrowhead at night. I love Malik Willis. I hope he starts. I do hope he starts because it would be so cool to see him beat the Chiefs. And then Monday Night Football, Ravens-Saints, that could be kind of fun. That could be kind of fun. Is there any other big-time college football games that you guys should pay attention for? We got Oregon State-Washington on Friday. That should be fun. Ohio State is a 38-point favorite against Northwestern. Yeah, that one should be fairly easy for them. Uh, Tulane-Tulsa, top 25 matchup everybody's talking about. Georgia-Tennessee is a 230 game. Damn it. It's in Georgia. It's at Sanford Stadium in Athens. So that should be. Oh, it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a fun, 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 fun game. Any other ones? LSU, Alabama. That one's going to be really fun. Bama's a 13-point favorite. Texas, Kansas State should be fun. That one's on FS1. Notre Dame, Clemson could be kind of fun. Michigan, Rutgers, fun. 
UCLA Arizona State just to watch UCLA play be fun on FS1 at 8:30 on Saturday and then ESPN you got Cal USC they're playing well USC is weird because they're playing well but they're keeping teams around that they really shouldn't be allowed to keep around like Arizona State I know they won 42-25 but that game was close for a while like Arizona like Oregon State I know Oregon State's in the top 25 but still it's USC and then Utah they let them come back in the game and then ultimately win the game. Yeah, it'll be fun. I hope USC can keep keep going up again because USC, unlike Texas, blue blood of college football, but uh, has started has won has won games. They've not been ranked after losses. They've been uh, they've been winning a lot. They've been winning a lot this year. Actually, only have one loss on the season. Like Texas, three. Man, Texas played so good against Bama. We should rank them now. Oh, Texas played so good against Oklahoma State. We should rank them. I've never seen that before. That is weird as hell. Now, before we end the show today, so it's been a lot longer than what I was expecting. I almost said before the show started that I'm hoping this is a short one, but I had a night. I I think I needed that easy Eddie because I was dry, I was dying. I just played soccer. I've been sleep deprived recently because I've been doing freaking mock drafts so late and trying to get these stupid rankings out, but I'm not getting that out today. So, yeah, this one's a little bit longer than expected. A little bit longer than expected, but I want to talk about this real quick. It is, we are 20 days from the World Cup in Qatar, which you can have your opinions about it. You obviously know my opinions about the whole situation around in Qatar. And I said this in my blog post of the United States World Cup squad prediction. I said they were playing Iran, I believe. They're playing Wales. I don't know why I said Iran in the in the blog post or why I talked about it on the show. They're playing Wales. They're playing Wales. Because I saw a tweet today. It was like 20 days, the United States plays Wales. I was like, oh, I thought they were playing Iran. Looked it up. Nope, they're playing Wales. They're playing Wales. Who are soon to be changing their national team name to a more... I don't remember what they're calling it, what the name is, but it's what the people of Wales call Wales. It's like Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast, like one of those situations where people would call it Wales probably, but they'd go like, oh, this is what our actual team is. But I saw this on Instagram today, the United States men's national team account. There's obviously going to be some changes to the United States men's national team squad that from what the one I posted, because there's a lot of, there's injuries. Obviously there's injuries. With the World Cup being so close to the season, it's, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Oh, we got a, a nine players were named to the squad for training camps. We got Gabby Salina, DeAndre Yedlin, Walker Zimmerman, Aaron Long, Shaq Moore, Christian Waldan, Jordan Morris, Pauliola, and Jesus, Jesus Ferreira. All MLS guys who are all out <laughs> of, their, of the playoffs. Oh, man. But there's going to be some changes to the squad, obviously. Weston McKinney's hurt. Luca De La Torre's hurt. Pepe keeps scoring goals for fun, which is which is nice. It's nice to see Pepe scoring goals again, which makes even more press for Jordan Jordan Pifok because he's not playing, or at least he hasn't been playing. I don't know if he played today or played this past weekend or not, but I saw this on Instagram. It was your favorite World Cup moment, and if you've listened to me talk about the United States men's national team, you should know mine. I'll give you two seconds to guess. All right, it's been two seconds. I hope you said it. It takes less than two seconds, I would imagine, to say this. At least the early port. The game, at least. The game, at least. United States-Algeria. That's my favorite World Cup moment ever. Because I remember exactly... I remember where I was from all the United States World Cup games for the most part. But that one, I freaked out. Because, like I said before, we didn't have cable television growing up down Direct TV, Mediacom, whatever. So I was at my grandparents' house. My aunt and papa's house. I live pretty much right down the street. Right down Meredith from us. And I was like, oh, 
no one's here. <laughs> I was by myself. I used to ride my bike to my grandparents' house and <laughs> chill there and watch go. I would go in the basement and I'd watch my games and I'd talk to my grandparents and I'd leave. So for this game, I got to watch it upstairs, which my grandparents weren't there. I could watch upstairs. And my papa, he watched, my and my nana as well, they watched the 2014 World Cup to a certain extent. They didn't watch Germany versus the United States. We watched that one in the basement. We watched Ghana, the United States, in the first round. First game of the tournament. Where Dempsey scored, I think, at 35 seconds. I think. Could be wrong about that. My dad wasn't even there for that one. That was a funny experience. But the Algeria one, my dad wasn't there for that one either. I don't remember where he was for that. But I was at my nana and papa's house. I either rode my bike or I got dropped off there by my dad. And the game was pretty uneventful like they had some moments in the game had some chances but ultimately it was 0-0 going in late in the game and then Tim Howard throws it down the right sideline gets played in the middle it gets played off the goalie and Donovan finishes it I have never screamed like that after a United States men's national team soccer game in my entire life I freaked out and thankfully I was by myself I called my dad about 18 times because he didn't answer and you know when you're panicking it's kind of like when you're pressing the door close button on the elevator. You're like spamming it and it doesn't really do anything. Like if you call someone a thousand times back to 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 back, it they they might answer, but it's you're gonna get a few calls in there. But my dad was like, "What?" <laughs> As most people would be if their phone was buzzing a thousand times, and I scream into the I scream into the phone. I am the because I'm this 2010. I was 14 years old, 13, 14 years old. So I was born in 97, 13, 14, right? That have been right. So yeah, then 13. So I'm freaking out. I got my white United States jersey with the sash on it. Love those jerseys. And just freaking out. Absolutely freaking out. I, I had a, <clears throat> a freak out when United States scored, John Brooks scored the goal against Ghana in 2014. That was a little more subdued, a little more subdued. Because that, that moment of the Algeria game, they were out of the World Cup if they didn't if he didn't score that goal. They are out of the World Cup. The United States could have still been playing. They had two more games in the group guaranteed after the Ghana game. They were out of the World Cup if they didn't win. Out of it completely. They got screwed against Slovenia in the game before. Got absolutely screwed. And this game against Algeria was big. First time of the tournament, they rocked the white uniforms. Which, again, beautiful uniforms. I didn't. Well, I wasn't a massive fan of the blue ones. I didn't like the white sash, with the blue jerseys. I definitely didn't like the red jerseys with the blue sash. That those were bad. Was during the Gold Cup when Freddie Adu randomly played for the United States again? When they lost to Mexico. I think what was the score of that turn? That final, three one Mexico in the Rose Bowl. I think it was three one, two one, two nothing. I don't remember the score. I think the United States scored right. Two. It was twenty eleven Gold Cup. Gold Cup final. Two to four, two four, and they were up two nothing. Okay, yeah. So I I knew they lost by well, at least my brain was telling me they lost by two. I wasn't one hundred percent sure, but those uniforms that tournament were bad. The the red with the blue sash. The United States had some bad uniforms. The ones the gold cup that they won with the backup squad with like the navy blue horizontal stripes, red jersey with the stars in the sleeve. Those those were the worst. I hated those jerseys. The Waldo jerseys with Hercules Gomez when they played Brazil. Those are the best ones by far, but. The white jerseys were awesome against Algeria. The way it won, I freaked out. It's a video, I guess. I thought it was just a, a post 
But I guess it was a video, so they interviewed the players. I haven't watched the video, so I don't know what all the other players' favorite uh, thing would be. But I just remember absolutely losing my mind during that. Absolutely losing my mind. Beautiful game. Absolutely beautiful game. They lost to Ghana in the next round. Went to extra time, and uh, Ghana did that awesome. We're going to substitute from all the way to the other side of the field. Or we're taking a throw, and we got the guy from the, all the way to the other side of the field. Donovan scored a penalty in that game, and I don't remember a whole hell of a lot else of that game. I remember Donovan scoring the penalty, and then the time-wasting that Ghana did at the end. And then Ghana, speaking of Ghana, they lost to Uruguay. <laughs> Went to Luis Suarez, just punched the ball out of the air, got a red card. Asamoah Jean missed the penalty. I, I liked Asamoah Jean. I he is an interesting character because he went all to the very good player, one of Ghana's best ever players. I'm not gonna say he's the best, but he's one of Ghana's best ever players. Never played for a massive club, played for Sunderland for a little bit, I believe, and then bounced around the Middle East for a little while. Got money, got paid during that time, paid, but never really went to the big clubs. But he would always appear in the World Cups, played well in the World Cups. But yeah, 20 days, 19 days for you, but 20 days for me. For the 2021 World Cup. From the United States' first game. Not from the World Cup starting. The World Cup starts on the 20th. 21st when the United States plays Wales. Not Iran. Wales. I had the England game mapped out. That is Black Friday. I I am not doing shit on Black Friday. I got Nebraska, Iowa, and uh, United States, Wales. Both games probably be very boring. <laughs> Just given how the United States and England both play. On paper, England should win. They should. I mean, they should have beat them in 2010 as well. They didn't. Sucks to suck, right? Let's go. This would be a great year to beat them, though. I would love that. This is England's, like, best chance to win a World Cup ever, or one of them since 66. Like, they've had good teams in the past. Everybody's hyped on England. They've been the two, they've been at a semifinal in the World Cup 2018, went to the final of the Euros. Natural progression, they win the tournament. They go semifinals, finals, both losses, and then you win. It's natural progression, right? Right. It'd be a cool time to beat them, though. Absolutely cool time to beat them. Especially with a Pulisic goal. Like one nothing, be sick. Mwah. Beautiful. England's had a few injuries as well. Kyle Walker and uh, Reese James are both uh, supposedly going to be out for the tournament at right back. They're both picked up injuries. I think Reese James might be out. France has got a bunch of injuries. Paul Pogba's out for the tournament, and Golokante's out for the tournament. Like this is. A, I hate how this World Cup. I, I I'm I'm gonna us as a fan as fans are gonna forget about it right when the tournament starts. But for right now, I absolutely despise it. Like I, it makes me sick. Just this World Cup in, in December, or November into December. But I'm excited. I'm excited for uh for the World Cup. I'm excited for to watch the United States. I bought a jersey today. I bought a sweatshirt today. I I folded. I got the white one. I know. I know. I'm a coward. I'm an absolute coward. I'm aware of that. I am aware. I'm aware. Okay. So yeah, that's all I've got for you today. I do hope you enjoyed the show. Sorry, no prospect rankings today. We'll have that coming for you on Friday. I think we talked about everything I want to talk about. If not, I will probably remember when I post the show tomorrow. So, yeah. That's all I've got. Let's double check everything. Let's do dots or dot our, <laughs> dot our T's and cross our eyes. <laughs> Let's see. Uh Oh, give your World Cup predictions. Winner, at this point, like right now, I just want to say Argentina. I think that'd be fun. Top score. Who's going to be around the entire tournament? Who's going to be playing a lot in the tournament? Like you'd say like Ronaldo. You'd say Harry Kane. Harry Kane, I believe, was the top scorer in 2018. But do I think those two teams are going to be around for the entire thing? I think Mbappe could be up there. 
don't know. I, I'll say I don't think Messi will be. I think Messi will get a lot of assists. Uh, no, we'll get we'll get Messi. We'll get Messi on there. Dark horse. Where's my dark horse? Let's look at the 2022 World Cup. FIFA World Cup. Let's look at some of the the squads. I think Guitars got a solid team. We saw them in the Gold Cup, obviously. Senegal won the AFCON this past year. Netherlands have a solid solid team. Uh, England, we already know about them. Argentina already said they're going to win, so it can't be a dark horse. France is going to be up there as well. Denmark's usually a sleeper in these tournaments. I remember for the 2010 World Cup, I said Spain would win it, and they won. That's the only time. No, I said France in 2018. I don't think I said anything for 2014. <laughs> I don't think I did anything back then. Brazil are going to be favorites. Um, I don't know. Are Portugal dark horses? I don't think a lot of people are considering Portugal to be a favorite because they're just old. They got a lot of really talented players, but like Ronaldo's older. If I had to be a dark, dark, dark horse, I think it'd be cool to see Senegal win it. Right? I think it'd be cool to see them win it. But I, I, I always like Denmark and these types of things as well. I think Denmark's always a, a safe bet to be a surprise team that goes far in a tournament. Netherlands, I think, again, they got a solid team as well. So I think one of those, maybe one of those three. I'm not confident in any of those, but maybe. Flop of the tournament? Uh, Belgium. Belgium. That's, my, that's probably my prediction for flop. Their group, I think it's maneuverable. I think they can get out of the tournament. I'm not going to go down the road. I think France will get out of the group. I know that, I mean, France is going to be up there for potential flops of the tournament because there's that weird stretch of World Cup champions that get kicked out in the group stage. Like in a, It's like since 2002 or something. It's weird. And I don't want to say them, but I think Belgium. Like You look at Belgium's team. Apart from Kevin De Bruyne and Thibaut Courtois, they don't really have that great of a score. They're just old. Like, Lukaku hasn't really done anything for the past couple seasons. Hazard has been injured the entire time. Like, they're just old, and their back line's old. Like, they, I don't know. I feel like if any team were to be a flop, it'd be Belgium. And player of the tournament, I mean, let's just go with Messi. Messi gets his World Cup and gets player of the tournament. That's what we're going to say for that. And I'll change him for goal. I don't think he'll be the top goal scorer. Again, I think he'll be the assister. I think he'll be, I think he'll be the best player. But golden, golden boot. Who'll win the golden boot again? Harry Kane's gonna be up there. Uh, probably. Uh, mm. Killian Mbappe. I'm gonna go Killian Mbappe. Harry Kane's gonna take all the penalties though. I don't. Killian Mbappe's not gonna take the penalties. He's got Griezmann and Benzema on the team, so he's not gonna take any penalties. So that's probably gonna be an issue. Pro- I'll just say Harry Kane. I don't think England will get it. I think England will get out of the group. So I think I'm just going to go Harry Kane. I think that's a safe bet. So there. Now that's all I've got for you today on this Wednesday edition of Logan Blackman Show. I hope you enjoyed. If not, I apologize. Try to be better next time. Again, make sure you follow Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. And of course, most important thing Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure to check out my friends' podcasts as well. Go subscribe to them on Apple, uh, geez, on Spotify. And uh, yeah. I'll see you guys later. Leave a rating on five stars. Leave a description down below why you feel the way you do about this podcast, about the podcast in general, whatever. Just leave it down below. We'll try to be better next time or improve or just to stay the same or get worse. We're too good for you. We're just too good. So, yeah, I'll see you all later. It went a lot longer than expected, but I think it was a fun show. I'll see you all later. Peace.